Previously on Grimdor. Okay, welcome back to Grimoire, the lore podcast for all your. Oh, hi, Shark. For all your grimdark fantasy and sci fi needs. All right, everyone who's not dead, sound off. Oh, fuck. Now. Ray, you alive? Um. I mean, I'm in one piece. My head really hurts, though. Okay. I still think I broke something, but I'll manage. Um, okay, well, I can hear uh, the bells of the great horned rat ringing in my ears. Oh, great. <laughs> Fucking Exo's here. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, dear listeners, our guest, Exo Flatclaw of Clan Scryer, the indomitable Skaven bouncer that I now regret hiring. I'm yeah, could back. you um, could you keep it down a little bit? My head kind of hurts. Holy fuck! Okay. All right. We're here. Where are we? Okay. I take that back. I see shark. So we must be in a ship or something, right? Yes, you are. It appears that we are lost in space. But I managed to find you guys after Slappy abandoned me. And now, I kidnapped you with Exo, because I have to find him. So I can get out of this oh, hellhole. I mean, does this look that bad? Damn that Slappy, you know, putting us in this situation. This, this ship is held together with duct tape. It's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Gerald, it looks better than half the stuff I did at our place. <laughs> like, he actually used duct tape and not spit and gum. Are you sure that was spit? I used... <laughs> I used something sticky. I prefer the... to use paper mache. It was the musk <laughs> where it came from. It was the musk of something, that's for sure. <laughs> Must Behold, ask, must my ask dry Jones. paper wall. <laughs> hey, let's see here. Joe knows about big. weird smells. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <sighs> so, wait a minute. Shark, well, you're from the Halo universe. If you're saying this, if you're trying to get back, then where are we? 
Well, if you guys look out the window, Rayway might recognize the giant floating orb out the window. Oh, shit. <laughs> I see we're back. Right there. Oh, we're in Destiny. Oh. Okay. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it seems the rat is upset. Gee, I wonder why. Look. All right. But, I mean, maybe when Slappy broke the machine, maybe he inputted the codes for, like, a really cool place, you know, a, a different reality, you know, where, like, the Skaven possibly ruled the entire universe. <laughs> you would. But, you know, that, that's just Slappy. <laughs> slappy fucked up, not me. <laughs> yep. I mean, there you got it. You done goo. <laughs> it's pretty is, evident. When this when this is over, if we're gonna have a we're gonna have a discussion about your warpstone payments. Uh, <laughs> you mean the warpstone payments that I haven't been getting for the past three weeks? I have nothing, I have nothing to do with that. That's the elf's problem. He he does the money management. Look, it disappears en route to you. I'm missing my warpstone. <laughs> It just happens to disappear in major increments as it's moving en route to you. It happens to go into somebody else's Loki. nose. <laughs> I do not find locate all my warp stone. You will feel the death oh, elf sweet. thing. Oh, sweet He's going into Skaven speak. Oh, thank God. My, my Vayal medallion is still here. I'm just going to start rubbing it. <laughs> He says seductively. <laughs> okay. Since we're in the Destiny universe, hey, Ray, do you have something that you want to teach us? Because I'd rather not hear this rat. Yeah. <laughs> we'll need a story while I hunt down this slappy individual. I need him to fix that warp gate. Ooh. Speaking of stories, I actually do have a story here at the beginning, which is really fun. How topical. Well, you are the bard, so spin us a tale. Ah, very well. But, uh, well, before we begin officially, uh, before we officially start, Gerald, do you remember what today's topic is going to be on? Since we've discussed it before, and people should have an idea, they see, they see, they can, they can read the titles, I hope, on what today's episode's going to be on, because we've discussed this before. Well, lastly spoke about, uh, Destiny, you let me pick what we were going to talk about. And given I was still riding the high from the Elite episode from last time, I decided we were going to talk about The Fallen, which reminds me a lot of yeah. from Halo. Yes, I so, will actually get to a lot of their similarities, too. So this will be about The Fallen from Destiny, baby. Yes, and uh, hopefully, potentially, maybe, if everyone's still alive, um, we could do two parts. But, you know, just, just saying, that might be a possibility today. Now, that is correct. We are talking about the Fallen today. The, uh, the lovely race of insect pirates of awesomeness, who are definitely one of my favorite uh, factions in Destiny, because yeah. they are very... Oh, go ahead. You had me at pirate. Yar. Well, I mean, I'm assuming our friend uh, Shark here has a, has, a, has a familiarity with pirates. I prefer the term privateer, legally distinct and all. 
<laughs> we, we fund it. Thank you very much. Government approved is how I like to approach that one. Is that why you're privateering? <laughs> At least one government. <laughs> is that why you're privateering us in one of your little dungeons? Well, you guys are the ones with the warp portals constantly jumping around. I just needed to kidnap somebody who had one. But we were I mean, so nice makes to you for the Elite episode. Yeah, but it's your fault I ran into Slappy, and now it's your fault I've been stuck in this universe for the last four months. Son of a bitch. He makes a good point, but that, wait, four months. Four months you know what? only just like five minutes. What kind of warp fuckery is this? Yeah. <sighs> I'm forced <laughs> differently here. Oh wait, shit, that was Dark Souls, never mind. I love me some good time fuckery. I've been fighting a boss for the last four months. Oh, oh, that hurts. That fucking hurts. It's like when I hit a good bump of that warm stone, I wake up and find out that it's been a whole week. <laughs> I just keep fighting the Templar over and over again, and my team fucking sucks. Oh, don't even get me started on those Vex bosses. Ugh, fucking, I hate them and I love them. But regardless, this isn't about the Vex. Maybe another time. Uh, and how scuffed they are, and how they would totally destroy the 40k universe. Don't at me. Regardless, miniature uh, sons. <laughs> Hashtag 40k is not that overpowered. Yeah, I said it. What you gonna do about it? You ever heard of the, the tavern down? Bitch. <laughs> so today is gonna be about the fallen, and um, I posted a picture in the group chat of what a fallen uh, looks like. They have their. They give you guys just a general like. Yeah, that is Varix the loyal for context. Fun fact, which is also a bit off-topic, that guy is voiced by the guy who voices all the clones in the clones. Oh, is this uh, Exo's friend? Cade's friend. Cade's friend. This is Cade's friend. Yes, is, I mean... Is he, is he a wizard from the moon? <laughs> oh my god. No, those are the hive. Derek's <laughs> chillest. I saw that dude, and he was like, yo, what's up, homie? We're gonna go chill out. You know, kill some people in the prison of elders. I was like, hell yeah, bro. <laughs> yes, now, there's actually supposedly Cade's friend. I'm sure, like, there's a good explanation for that since we're final, since we fight a lot of fallen in the original Destiny. Yes, I will actually get over uh, what go over what led to the fighting and some of the fighting as well as um, story time uh, to go over it. But yes, um, there is a a decent explanation for it. And now, story time with Freyway. Enjoy. Okay, so before we go over the Fallen and their history and everything else that I usually go over, I wanted to actually do a little something different, which is story time. Basically, it's going to be a brief overview of what it would be like to be a human in Destiny and encounter the Fallen. Because... I mentioned before, Destiny is actually really grim, dark, and really, really dark in a lot of in a lot of ways, and a lot of it is actually implied, so it's never outright stated, and it's not as obvious as it is with 40k, for example. But a lot of stuff that is implied and hinted at is really dark in a lot of ways. Dark, dark, like how dark are we talking? Like, uh, 
Demon Kilbasa <laughs> Dark or Well, I wouldn't say it goes as well. I will say it goes dark in terms of there are instances of someone being flayed alive. There are instances of um cannibalism as well as um the murder and consumption of infants in one instance. One of these is, it, is, is not it, like the other. Is it <laughs> bad when you say that? All I think of is Jordan Peterson. Remember, it's not okay to eat your children. <laughs> Consumption well, of babies? Is this a Saint-14 reference? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Saint-14 is like the Vietnam uncle who is who has very strong opinions that are very strong and direct and he still uses some slurs Russian. from the war <laughs> he's, he's like the character he's that one guy that's in every game series where it's just like if let off the leash they would go a bit too far yeah <laughs> <laughs> but regardless this isn't about Saint 14 and the glorious man that he is and this is going to be about story time as uh, for being part of the uh, the human life in uh, the Destiny world. So it's a cold evening and the air sends a chill up your spine, but you guys can enjoy it because you know that this is familiar. This is normal. This is just another part of your life because you and your community that you've built around you have been here for so long that this cold air feels almost familiar and very home. And as you guys are walking through this city, through this community that you've built with people that you've known all your life, people that have come from far and wide to join your little upstart city in a, in a way, are all kind of enjoying your, your gathering, you're kind of all enjoying yourselves together. And then as a massive bonfire forms to celebrate Another another day, another hard-won victory of just surviving in this brutal world. You can hear people cheering and everyone's exciting. Everyone's excited. And as the evening starts to go on, it starts to get darker and darker. There's a quick rupture, a loud explosion in distance, almost like a sonic boom. And in that moment, in the cover of darkness, you hear things flying overhead, zipping past you. You, you and your community know what's going on. It's an attack from the devils. And as you panic, you all ready your rifles and, and take aim into the darkness that surrounds the community. As the women and children, or anyone who isn't a fighter and who's too old, anyone who's too young, tries to hide to take refuge inside the buildings that you've set up, the miniature tents and camps that you've established. And as all the soldiers, yourself included, take aim and wait, there's nothing but a long pause, a very long and quiet pause. And then you look to your sniper on a uh, water tower beside you. And the single moment in a flash, he's gone. He's dead. He's blown apart as shrapnel has blown through his body. His corpse falls down. And in that moment you see as several others, several more of these flashes zip past you. Each one taking out one of your fellow soldiers, one of your fellow community members as they're killed in front of you. You take aim and fire. But no matter what you do, you can't see them. It's almost like a flash of illusions and lightning zipping past you with how fast they are. And then suddenly, you hear it, a loud, a loud bang. Beside you is a sphere. 
but it's not a sphere. It's a fallen stun grenade. You get up, you panic, you run, you try to hide, and it explodes. You get sent careening off course and falling behind a wall. Your body is stunned, your body is tasered, you can't move. You feel all your strength fade from you, it's even hard to breathe. And in that moment, you see as more and more of these things, these human-like creatures venture over the walls and begin to cut down and shoot and slaughter all of your fellow civilians. As the people that you were fighting alongside are instantly murdered by this tidal wave of insectoid carapaces. You can you can no longer see them anymore. Just the just the bodies that they've laid in their wake as you and because you cannot move, all you can do is stare off and you can hear all the all the chaos ensuing as everything around you is going up in flames and all the people inside, those who did those who didn't die in the fighting, are now being slaughtered by the fallen. You then begin to hear laughing, almost gleeful cheering. And then you hear the loud steps of something very heavy as it enters into your village. You can just see the shadow of it, but your eyes can still kind of track where it goes as it begins to approach the center bonfire at the center of your village, most of it now ablaze. You then see as one by one, these creatures begin to huddle and form, creating this large line that leads to the fire. You can kind of watch from where you are, you're safe. But as they begin to approach, approach the massive giant of their kind, each one presented an artifact, an item, some kind of treasure stolen from your community. Whether it be something as powerful as bullets, as bullets, firearms, or even grenades, some could be as small as a children's toy. Regardless, they're all hopped into a pile before the giant. And as the giant, and as the giant observes, it nods in validation, and it allows the fallen to feed. As you can see, just barely in the corner of your eye, they begin to feed on the corpses of everyone that was killed. As this continues, and you can just imagine the horror, you unable to fully see everything, you do see one, one of these creatures, it hides something inside of its cloak, inside of its robes, and it begins to approach the pile to present it to this giant. And you notice that it doesn't, you can just barely notice that it doesn't present what it's hiding in its cloak only presenting what was in its hand. The giant stands, and with a swift motion, all the fallen behind it and those around him begin to assault and batter this traitorous thief, assaulting him, no doubt because he tried to steal something for himself and not present it to the giant. Eventually, with a swift motion, the giant, the giant roars, and four fallen, each one grabbing hold of, of the thief, holding his arms spread apart, and as they pull and as they and as they grab you can hear something a quick sound of what sounds like snapping of cracking and with a quick growl from the giant two of the fallen's forearms are ripped from its back and is left to sw to wallow in pain in the snow and ground the fallen continue their feast and you lie there the sun grenade wear worn off but you lay there because you can no longer move this is what it's like to be attacked by the devils. This is what it means to be attacked by the fallen. So that's story time. Coming to a kid's birthday party near you. Ha. <laughs> Would you like the fallen to come visit you? You can call them at nine uh, one <laughs> Well, I mean, if they put on an arm ripping off display, I'm actually kind of in for that. <laughs>
Yeah, you know, well, sometimes you gotta make an example. When you have... Who needs a Wookiee when you have bugs? <laughs> Grease is tested. Really fucking cool bugs. Greasy is tested. Greasy is approved. <laughs> I mean, Greasy is always approves, especially when it involves eating. <laughs> so, uh, now that we've covered the story, um, I want to ask you guys, what do you guys know in as brief way as possible? What do you guys know about the Fallen in general? Starting with Gerald. Um, in my limited experience playing the first Destiny, they were basically reminiscent of the elites from Halo, and they cut because they eat, they go like a like a color coded scheme of like you know certain colors are better than the others or whatnot, and and the main difference is like they have four arms, so that is like the extent of my knowledge of the Fallen. That is acceptable, Shark. Well, I remember them being pirates. I remember they used to worship the Traveler. And I also remember that some of them are good. Most are bad. Very good. Exo. Uh, they're bug people. <laughs> I knew about the worshipping the Traveler. They, they, they like basically live off this stuff called ether. And when you shoot them in the head, they do this funny little thing where they, like, swivel down. Where they explode? Yeah, they, like, they like boogie down, you know? <laughs> they, do, they, do the, they do the surfer dance. So it's, like, <laughs> so it's like playing Destiny with the grunt birthday party skull activated. Yeah, but less, like, pizzazz. Oh, More like, hey, what's that white stuff coming out of them? <laughs> Choose your next words more, a little bit more carefully. <laughs> it made sense in the moment, okay? <laughs> a good time for me if it's a good time for them. <laughs> oh my god. I don't want to hear Exo say anything those... about any kind of white stuff. Wait, is, is this a sex joke? I feel like this is a sex joke and I'm not getting it. <laughs> I'll tell you when you're older. <laughs> so, yes. Going off that, you guys are all correct in what you guys were saying. Yes. Everyone was correct in literally everything. That the Fallen are bug people, and they do have a color scheme. And yes, they. Uh, some of them are good, but most of them are very bad. I sent a picture of probably of a really awesome looking fallen on a throne because one, I think it's cool. And two, it's also topical to their culture and structure in a way. But, um, yep. But before I fully go over, um, the fallen, I kind of want to give some similarities to what they are, just things that we would be more accustomed to, to kind of give you guys an idea of what to expect. So, if I was going to describe the Fallen, though, using comparisons, I would say they're very close to the Mechanicus of 40k, combined with a little bit of Drukhari slash Eldar. And that's the best way to summarize the Fallen using, like, 40k, for an example. So dark. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. What was the one Drukhari so, sub-faction? The, the, the Covens, the Homunculus, those are the ones that do the, like, the... the... 
body mods. Mod body mods. CBT. So. Yeah. Yes. Um, there's actually one that's very. There's actually one fallen house, which is their version, which would be like their sub factions. That's actually very similar to the covens and what they do to their own bodies, but that's for a later point. So before I go over the history of the fallen as well as how their society works, I think it's best to actually give an overview of um, their biology. So bounce chicka wow wow jokes. <laughs> um. <laughs> gotta have one Slaneshi joke per episode no 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 more Slaneshi no more b- I'm tired of b- and just b- stuff that has the censor out it's just it sucks I hate it <laughs> um, so the Fallen actually go by another name they're actually otherwise known as the Elixni so I will type that out to give you guys um, a good view of how it's spelt and how it's pronounced, so Elixni. Well, we know I can't read, so that ain't gonna help at all. <laughs> it's just a jumble of letters. <laughs> Alright, who, who here knows how to, who knew, who here knows how to speak Reichspiel? I mean, there's there's actually an Elixni alphabet. <laughs> I have some experience in the realm, let me let me, let me see. <clears throat> oh. L like uh Sny. I like Sny. Oh my god. You know what? Good enough. Rayway, the rat knows how to read. I just wouldn't say that in front of any self-respecting elixir. Is it is it weird for me to say that when I look at that, for some reason my brain flips it backwards? No, I it, it does the same for me as well. It seems like it's written backwards. It's like oh, got like a weird a yeah, it's got like a weird shape to that makes it kind of want to invert on itself. But um, like, yes, <laughs> maybe. I thought right that was just the Velocyxia kicking in. <laughs> All right, so the Lixni are an insectoid uh, race that are actually known to be incredibly durable and have insane survivability, almost being able to survive anywhere. On top of their innate survivability, they also possess both an internal. Uh, skeleton and an external chitinous exoskeleton. So they are really fucking durable if it wasn't obvious enough because they have two skeletons. Um, the strength and durability of the exoskeleton actually increases as the fallen a- as the elixir or fallen ages. So the older they get um, and the bigger they are, the more in- the more resilient they are. It's basically the video games. It's basically their excuse for why bigger, for why higher-ranking fallen have more health. Ah. Now, despite that, though, the smallest of the fallen are able to actually, like, even though as they get older, their their thing gets uh, harder, harder and more durable. Um, even yeah. the youngest, <laughs> even the youngest and smallest uh, fallen are still capable of surviving impacts from firearms. So even though, so like as a baseline, they can take gunshots. Just as a standard, they can take gunshots. As for height, um, the fallen can range anywhere between five feet to twelve feet tall. So they could be taller than a Primark. Mm, take that. Um, and their height is actually uh, proportional to both their age and their social standing within their house, which again is their subfaction. So the older a fallen is, the more likely they are to be bigger, but also the more high-ranking they are in their community or in their house, 
the the also the the bigger they'll be. So those two factors can play a part. So now you say house um, like is it like bloodline family house like Game of Thrones or is it just like everyone's bound together in like one clan type of thing? Um, it's kind of a mix of both. Like you know how um the North in Game of Thrones is the Starks and then all their vassal houses yeah. all are technically part of the Starks. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's kind of how it is. So like oh. when someone says. Yeah. So if they were to say, and I'll get to why it's exactly why it's similar to that. So if that some, so when you say Starks, like the Stark army, you know, it isn't just all the Stark kids. When someone says the Stark army, that means the entire army of the North led by the Starks. Uh, okay. Winter is coming. Yes. So it's, yeah. so it's like, uh, there's like a family at the top and then like everyone they're bullying everyone underneath them to be in their army. Um, it depends on the time. It depends on the era that the fallen are in. So in present day, very much yes. But instead of it being a family, it would be. It's it's very similar to a. How would I say it? A militocracy. So basically, the highest ranking warrior, general, warlord, whatever it could be for whatever like because each house can be can assign it differently some are inherited but at the end of the day each fallen house is led by a single leader except on one case which i'll get to and this leader can be deposed by either a successor or if they are defeated in 1v1 battle and this fallen is basically in charge of it's it, the best way to put it is it is a bullying system <laughs> it is a bullying system <laughs> So a martial meritocracy? Kind of, yeah. I don't know why, but I think of like Bob or something. Like the Mafia. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Mafia is also a good example. Um, now, here's something else very interesting about the Fallen. They have no maximum life expectancy. So Fallen could theoretically live forever. The only thing that... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, so it's like a whole race of Primarchs, essentially. Yeah, the only thing is that while they have no maximum life expectancy, they're kind of like, um, they're lobsters, right? Is that lobsters where they continue to grow and continue to live forever so long as they can sustain themselves on nutrients? But if they can't sustain themselves, they'll end up starving to death. Or if they're ever killed, it's the same concept. As long as the Fallen can be sustained... Um, and they need a special material. They need a special substance to sustain themselves, called ether, which I think EXO you mentioned. So as long as the fallen can sustain themselves, they can live forever. So in that way, they're kind of like the Skaven from fantasy, in that like the only the thing keeping them in check is basically themselves, and then of course everyone <laughs> they fight. In a way, yes. Well, just like the fallen, we Skaven die a lot. Weird thing called starvation. <laughs> Yes. And yet you still Except, think, and yet you still somehow keep on coming back, Exo. I wonder why that is. Look, you know, it's. I mean, I, I don't really. <laughs> it just um, kind of happens. It just kind of happens. So, given all this information, you guys can kind of understand how fucking hard it would be to actually take that off Fallen, right? Like. I've already mentioned they're fucking durable. They live indefinitely. They're actually stronger than humans too because their bone, their muscles are actually denser than humans because they're insects. So they're actually a lot stronger than humans and proportionally faster. 
because they can actually be a lot thinner, but proportionally they're stronger than you and they're faster than you because of their their smaller build and really dense muscles. Uh, so what you're saying is bad idea to fist fight. Oh, <laughs> I mean they have four arms. <laughs> I mean I got three if I'm lucky. Just oh us. my god. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Gerald, what were you gonna Bye. say? <laughs> oh, damn, I didn't know you had a tail. <laughs> yeah, the and problem is on the other end. If the and fallen is lucky, you mean. Uh, uh. I lost my train of th- thought with that. Just get go go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So now that we're all knowledgeable on fallen biology, I'm assuming there aren't any questions, any more stupid humorous jokes. Oh, trust me. Yeah, are they? More. So we didn't cover the entire biology perspective of the fallen. But no, but if you like, have any questions, I can answer them. How I got similar a question. are they biologically, in a way, you know, without me saying it, to like to fruit? You mean pro? You mean procreate? Yeah, that word. <laughs> um, like, I think it's. It... I think it's less than a decade because there is actually a fallen that we actually see in the first game, or that's that's mentioned in the fir- in the first game of the first DLC, and they actually reappear in one of the more recent um, DLCs, and it's and because of how the timeline works, it's implied that it's been seven seven or eight years in that time. And the fallen that we see is older and has matured and has actually become a mother. Well, I guess that goes into my question. As our resident who always asks this question, how do I bang one? Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm <laughs> um, you know, Is it weird like oh, fruit? Oh my god. I, that part I don't know. That part I don't know, but I do know that they are a communal unit. So basically, all the mothers will raise all the children together, very similar to how the Sanghili are. Hey, you did. Like and they do actually. Right? <laughs> and they do lay clutches of eggs. So it, ah. it is. It, they're very similar to Skaven too. All all the women breeders do things for all the children, you know. <laughs> And that's just their job, and everyone's fine with that. <laughs> so what I heard w- from that was cloaca. <laughs> that's all I needed to know. Oh my god. <laughs> Stop oh, him, he's getting ideas. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, there's a reason they call me a xenophile. Oh my <laughs> I'm coming, your brain. It's, it's not just because I'm a sympathizer. Oh my goodness. All right. Damn sweet, they all I know why you were at Area 51. Oh, okay. Okay. So, now, because we, we finally covered their biology, we can cover uh, the fallen history. And all of their history really begins on the planet Reese, which is spelled like this. For shark, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to guess. Damn, I was hoping it was a it was a planet of chocolate and peanut butter. Uh, yeah, I was about to say that actually. <laughs> For a second, I thought you said reach, and I was like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, but <laughs> I thought that too. too much." 
<laughs> so I, I also like, sent... <laughs> so I sent a picture of what Reese uh, looks like. Well, somewhat looks like, and you will mm-hmm. notice in the picture that there is the traveler. Yes, the white ball of uh, that we can see outside our windows. So um, Reese uh, is actually a paradise world, to use a 40k term. So the Fallen, again, they were once called Lixni, and for the time, and for now, I will call them Elixir until they become the Fallen. Um, and they were inhabitants of the world Reese. To overexplain a planet with very little information on it overall, um, Reese was once a brutal death world. So again, very similar to Sanghealy in that they, were, they grew up on a death world. And the this planet was so brutal. It's actually the reason why the Elixni, um need to have such resilient, like durable bodies because the planet literally required them to evolve in such a manner to become so strong, become so adapted, surviving. Can I make one statement? Real and quick? what happened? Yes, Bungie, please stop stooping to GW's levels of self plagiarism. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the elixir ended up evolving and growing into effectively primitive tribes and feudal kingdoms and what would happen as would always happen these tribes and kingdoms would actually end up going to war with one another and this was actually a very long period of basically planet-wide war effectively but I need to make it clear that the Fallen at this point were a feudal society. And it's the reason why they use houses as a subfaction. Because they were literally these ancient kingdom houses. So when I go over each of the houses, I want you to understand that each one of these was actually a... a would have been equivalent to like a House Stark or a House Lannister of Game of Thrones, for example. Um, we already got through the cannibalism, the arm ripping. I don't want to hear about incest. <laughs> no, or, that's not a thing. Don't worry. The fallen have or standards. Also, or it could also be compared to like the house of someone with four jaws and the house is named Vadimir. You know, <laughs> on a death world. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a clan, all right? That's not a house. <laughs> Shark does make a good point. True enough. The got cease and desist for Bungie delivered from Bungie will not be heading to their offices anytime soon. <laughs> it got lost in the um, warp, just like X says warp stone payment. Exactly. Fucking, so, I need it. So, um, during this period of intense war, um, the Elixney would actually, the Elixney homeworld of Reese would actually be discovered and the fallen Elixney race would be chosen by the Traveler. And it is said that when the Traveler arrived, it actually ended all war. So, while these houses were constantly at war with each other, the moment the Traveler arrived, it said that they all began to kind of put aside their differences. That it inspired more. It inspired more community in them. And from... From the Traveler arriving, which again, I send a picture of it. You can actually see a Traveler in above the planet's surface. And when it was discovered by the... Tra- and when the Traveler discovered them, the Elixir actually went from a primitive race of feudal uh, houses. Okay. Um, give me one second. One.
Well then. I am out of cigarettes. Fuck. <laughs> I am out of brew. Darn it. I guess while everyone else is doing their thing, coffee number three, here we go. Vape hit 75. I do indeed count. Second turns into a century. It appears warp time has kicked in. Three hours later. Well, you know any good knock knock jokes? A new one. But there's no door. So how's that Halo tabletop horse heresy thing you're working on coming coming along? Oh, it's uh, it's been done pretty much after that episode came out. Oh, lovely. I just, uh, it's a Word document right now. Ah. I have no idea how to pretty it up and like make it into an actual stat sheet thing. That's why I never posted it. Ah. I occasionally update it a few times too. To just add a new right of war or a new warlord because I was like, uh, I don't have many named characters in it yet just because I wanted to give them like unique warlord traits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I think the last the last named character I finished was Ripper Morami. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. That and I was also trying to find model recommendations for everything. Oh, okay, okay. But then uh, as soon as you say, like, it's going to be, like, done, I know XO is going to be, like, all over that. Yeah. I could just pretty it up probably in the next few days, maybe. Yeah, I've heard mention of my boy, the Arbiter from Halo Wars, Ripamori. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The man who was just too fucking angry. <laughs> Not angry enough to stop that knife, though. Nope. No, apparently. <laughs> Coolest character, lamest death ever. (laughs) All right, I'm back. All right, we guys ready? Yep, I believe so. Yeah. All right. right. Just finished my ice cream. Lucky. All right. So when the Elixir were discovered by the Traveler, they went from a primitive race of feudal houses into actually honorable and civilized, effectively nation states with each one becoming steeped in history, glory, and traditions that would all kind of diversify and kind of break them off, all becoming their own kind of grand, unique things. And at the same time, while the while the Lixini were developing culturally, they also developed technologically, going so far as to actually surpass anything humanity would achieve during their golden age when the travel was with them. So, while they grew, their world actually slowly transformed into a paradise as well, as carefully tended rivers and lakes actually started to form on the planet naturally, like the planet started to almost terraform itself to match these almost beautiful idyllic states, with fields of iridescent crops actually cultivating and sprouting all across, and the sky went from a dark stormy, um, stormy gray to actually a light pink. 
and the air was actually so thick with ether that it was actually visible. So if you guys remember, ether is the stuff that the fallen inhale that they breathe in. I should, I want to specify the fallen are omnivorous, so they can eat anything. But ether is basically a miracle substance for them. The best way to describe what ether is is it's a non-wastable uh subs like form of sub of uh, sustenance. So like when you eat something, some of that is waste. Some of that your body just doesn't process, and your body doesn't use it. It doesn't get to use. It just gets stored away and wasted. Ether is basically not like that. Everything you consume when you consume ether, which again is a gas you inhale, is 100% given to your body um, as pure efficient energy. So it's basically really awesome in general for the fallen to consume. But otherwise they can consume like meat and veggies and everything else, but their body is not built for it. If that makes sense for everyone. So would you say like this ether is like equivalent to say like... I don't know, vaping or like hookah smoke or anything like that, or is it something different? Um, Clearly elaborate you can tell on it. Like, smoker here. like, are you asking, like, is it in a similar context, or do you mean, like, how it appears to them? Is it, I guess, a little bit of both? Is it, but like, like, is it inhaled like one, like, I guess, like a, like a smoker would, or? It's, um, okay, so you know how Mortarion in 40k, or in 30k rather, he had his, uh, his Death Guard basically, um, he, he basically transformed their, um, isolation suits of their armor to basically match the atmosphere of their home world. So they're basically constantly steeped in the same atmosphere and poison gases of their home world. Yeah. It's basically similar, where they basically will place, um, an inhaler over them. And they'll basically replace um, the air that they breathe with ether. And actually, when you shoot them, like uh, Exo was saying, when you shoot them and they die, um, you actually see what looks like a white mist flying out of them. That's actually the ether from their tanks and their suits um, being expelled into the air. And it's only visible for a few seconds because that's how thick it is. Like, it forms a cloud, then it immediately disperses into the air. Okay, so it's like shooting it's like shooting the methane tank off of a grunt. You see the air just kind of yeah out of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now does it have any kind yeah. of like narcotic like effect to to it or no. is it just no. is it just like another food source like you and me eating pizza or something? It's another fuel source, but it's also another food source, but it's also almost a miracle drug because fallen um they have the potential to, they can't naturally regrow limbs. But if they actually in if they actually consume ether, it actually improves their body's ability to grow, and it actually enables them to regrow limbs and recover from damages. So okay, oh, go ahead. I was trying to think of like something similar to compare it to. I'm thinking like, is it like? beneficial bacteria that you have on your skin maybe like it's something they breathe in obviously but it's not like it's not necessary kind of like um, like oxygen kind of like bacta from star wars um, like that that regenerative but that's more of a liquid but you, you get you get what i mean though. so to go over shark's question first um it's it's very beneficial but it's not it's not natural well i'm the best I'm, I'm, I'm oh. more so asking if it's like necessary. Like if they stop breathing it in, do they just die? Um, it yes, unless they can find another form of food source. 
but the Fallen aren't built to consume other things, so they could die from like not being able to sustain themselves on natural on other things. But the issue is that they specifically mention ether being something that was discovered or arrived after the traveler. So it's not something they biologically developed. I'm, th- so, I'm, kinda, I'm thinking like filter feeders, like whales, like they're feeding off things in the air. I'm assuming that might be what it is, but I actually will go over how ether is created because we actually know how ether is created. Honestly, I could explain it now. If you guys just want, it would probably help. So, yeah, um, Ether is basically made by um, a robotic grace um, that were that the Fallen are in charge of and control called Servitors. And I will pull up a quick picture of a Servitor very quickly. But to give a brief overview of what they can do, a Servitor is basically how do I put it? It's a device that basically can break down organic matter. So what it will do is it will project a a beam, basically, onto an item or onto um, an organic substance, and it will actually start to consume that substance into itself. It can then store this, basically, pure organic material inside of it, and almost so much like, almost like a clam, it basically condenses um, the organic matter that it's consumed into a pure gaseous substance, that it can then like jettison out of its body, almost like it expels it, like it's expelling exhaust. And the fallen collect this, and then they inhale that. So it looks like so a... they're huffing robot shit. Is that would be the best way? They're no, they're they're huffing robot exhaust. <laughs> well, I mean, robot exhaust is just <laughs> robot shit. That's a good point. Which end of the exhaust pipe is it coming from? <laughs> it's like, but yeah i mean for the sake of our listeners the picture that ray posted is like it basically looks like a monitor from halo again blatant self-plagiarism there bungie but the fact that you're calling it servitor i keep flashing back to 40k so i'm like partially thinking like there's like some kind of a living brain in there that's like doing all the compressing and everything because that's their that's their their horrible existence oh it is an ai it is an AI. Oh, that's even worse. Abominable I think, intelligence. Gosh. So you're telling me this if, robot baby bird throws up in their mouth? Um, we'll say yes. We'll say we'll say it throws up. It. I'm I, I'm agree with you for dramatic for comedic effect. It's more like they can. Exp- it's kind of like your exhale. Like you know when you in it, when you smoke, you will kind of breathe out. You kind of breathe out the exhaust, not the exhaust, but smoke. The servitors the same way. Basically, they consume the organic matter, and then they can expel it out. And the fallen like collect it, refine it, and then they inhale it to give themselves more more life juice, I guess. Well, speaking of inhaling, I view it similar to how you were saying with it being like bacteria in the air, because the fallen, um, from what I've seen, they they apparently have like a, not a grill. They have like. The same bristles, kind of like a kind of like a whale, which doesn't make sense because they're because they also are carnivores. So they're weird with how they rate the fallen sometimes. Well, the the the, the things are to pick up krill, like little shrimp. Okay, well then I'm assuming that might be what, maybe it's bacteria in the air that would make the most sense for why they have to inhale gas. Oh, krill! Swim away! 
<laughs> but um, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Connection. This uh, this whole thing about they need to huff on this gas, keep living for a while. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a another race of beings that require a form of gas, stay alive. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. It, it could just be me. Uh, it's just you, so it's just you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go back to eating your ice cream. So... <laughs> I finished it a while ago. <laughs> now I'm just upset. <laughs> so no, yes, you can't um, have mine. You can't have mine. My my ice cream. What? So, all this um, ice cream. My ice cream. Back off. Fuck off. Mine. Ugh. Like I was saying, like we were trying to explain, the ether is a beneficial, but it's a supplementary, supplementary material for the fallen to consume. That's super beneficial for them. Regardless, um, it should it should explain just how well off and paradise like this world was that there was literally ether clouds visible in the air, um, and naturally in return for all these miracles affected the travelers granting them. The Elixir race, again a feudal society, began to actually uh, honor and actually end up worshipping the Traveler as a god in a way. They actually called it the Machine God or the Great Machine. <laughs> because machine they're ripping God. Kinda yeah, like they're, a, they're ripping uh, off. Kind of like an Omni Saya, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> and from venerating the the great machine, they actually began to learn from it. Not actually like it teaching them anything, but it's more like reverse engineering where like they would look at it and they kind of began to almost naturally begin to develop ideas. Like like you would look at the traveler floating and suddenly like ideas of how to create anti-gravity technology might start to appear in your head. They actually, and to further honor the Traveler, they actually began to create smaller machines both to honor it and in its image. So if you guys look at the Servitors and you look at the Traveler, you'll actually notice that they're the exact same shape. They're both perfect spheres. And the reason why is because when the Traveler arrived, Ether began to appear on Reese. They actually began to create the servitors to actually mimic what the traveler did on Reese. So whatever the each so like I said, the servitors consuming organic matter and then they create um, ether. What the servitors are doing is just an imitation, a very poor imitation of what the traveler did when it came to their world. So again, the, the fallen are pretty cool. They have their own little mini travelers, basically. Oh, and I should mention, um, the servitors, they, there are only like a few of them. Like, there's like millions of them. <laughs> Why do I get the sinking suspicion that things are about to go to shit really, really quickly, really, really badly? Hang on, I'm getting to it. <laughs> so, Reese was a paradise, and the Elixni grew. They grew so fast and so, so quickly and so effectively that they actually began to expand outwards leaving their home world, and actually even going beyond their solar system as well. So they actually began to colonize mul uh, uh, multiple solar systems, going so far as to actually create their own uh, vast um, interstellar empire. Into the empire. I should mention, though, it doesn't exactly say how many 
worlds or systems they had. But I'm gonna. But I personally want to say that they probably had like a hundred worlds at most. But that's still an impressive number, regardless. Because let's look at books. The galaxy is a giant place. Yeah, I should also mention they develop faster than they travel, <laughs> which humanity still I didn't crack in the Destiny universe. And their version of uh, faster than they travel is called Slip Space. Just like mm. another setting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. There's just a lot of, like, things in this that are just, they sound strangely familiar. Can't seem to like, figure it out. Like they've been stolen. Bungie, you've yeah. answered a lawsuit from Bungie <laughs> for copyright infringement. <laughs> Please send this to Bungie HR. You will hear a response so, within three to four business years. So, like, ten years. More like Sorry, seven ten- Seven business. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, so um, I should mention though is that with the size of their empire and how powerful it was, um, I mentioned the houses again. They were noble houses, and to further go into it, you had the greater houses, and then you had the lesser houses. So the greater houses would be equivalent to like your house Starks, as these like massive, incredibly powerful, informative, basically governmental, feudal families. Um, so or I guess military. Like yeah. And then you had the lesser houses, which unlike Game of Thrones, a lot of them are actually independent because at this time, a lot of the lesser houses, they weren't as powerful as the greater houses and they were far more numerous, but actually only a few of them actually bent the knee under a greater house. Most of them were actually independent, which if you're familiar with feudalism does not sound like it would make any sense. So... It should mention what kind of topsy-turvy, peace-loving world we're living in here where feudalism actually works. <laughs> now, as you were saying, Gerald, with things going, uh, going to shit really fast, uh, each one of these great houses and some of the lesser houses started to actually view themselves as bigger than their, than their neighbors, as arrogance and rivalry started to take root. And the Empire quickly collapsed into what is called the Edge Wars. Which is basically a very long period of civil war that basically broke the fallen, the Elixir Empire, apart. And this war, it's never said how long this war is, only that it's, it lasts a very long time and that the entire thing was a tragedy. But overall, during the period of this time, as the Edge Wars went on, a vast number of great and lesser houses were all totally destroyed. So, like, you have to imagine, like, entire countries and micro countries just suddenly being wiped off the map, as an example, just completely gone during the, over the course of this war. And while this was going on, um, a lot of the houses didn't really like the civil war that was going on because no one really liked civil war, and a lot of people wanted to go back to the way things were when, you know, it was a golden age. So two of the greater houses, Houses King and Houses Judgment, who are two of the oldest and most uh, reputative and honorable of the houses, actually joined forces. And while their combined military force was, um, did help end the, end the fighting, it was actually the symbolism of these two houses um, working together that quelled most of the fighting. So you have to imagine like these two uh, superpowers working together, and it's almost like, oh, well... I could fight your army, 
but I would lose, like, well, for one. But two, you guys together are like a fucking power couple, and I want to be a part of that. So <laughs> some might say... Uh, <laughs> some might say House of Kings went on a great crusade. <laughs> I'm going to say they need a better name for that war, because Edge Wars just makes me think they're trying to edge each other the longest out of everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. It's not a great name. Forget House King, but about House Lord. If you're in this edge, <laughs> so again, houses King and Judgment managed to end the Civil War, and they actually brought all the houses back into alignment. Again, sometimes a little bit through force, mostly through symbolism and propaganda. Um, and this actually began the second Golden Age of the Elixir. So they got two Golden Ages. Humanity got fucking one. Fucking nerds. <laughs> Get rich. Um, now, um, all the houses, all the greater houses, kind of actually bent the knee, um, metaphorically speaking, to House Kings. Because while House Kings ended the war, the thing about House Kings is that they didn't actually lord over them as, like, the, 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 the house above all the other houses. They actually stepped down and actually took their place as equals among the greater houses back to how things were before. So it was almost like, like, it's very similar to like the U.S. where, um, what's his name? Uh, George Washington steps down after two years, or not two years, after two terms. It's very similar to like, oh, we could conquer and rule forever, but we're actually going to step down and just become equals with you guys again. So House Kings proved themselves as a very honorable house in doing so. House Judgment, on the other hand, however, actually officially got wiped out, but not really. Um, to maintain the peace, um, all of the fallen, all the elixir of House Judgment, would actually break up, and they would be scattered among all of the houses, the lesser ones and the greater ones, and they would basically act as diplomats, as ambassadors, as speakers for um, for everyone, and act almost like advisors and teachers to the um, leaders of those houses, or even to the young upstart Elixni children. They're basically meant to function very similar to the maesters in Game of Thrones, where each one is assigned to a house, and they're tasked with working alongside that house. So, a lot of Game of Thrones references. It kind of turned into, like, the UN mixed with the church. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Just like War Decay, but you just gotta, gotta get their re religious references in there somewhere. Yes, yes, yes. So, now, you might have mentioned, now you might have realized from this statement, oh hey, things got bad, but then they got good again, that's great. Well, of course they have to get worse now, because it's the law. <laughs> um, so, what follows is an event called the Whirlwind. But for humans in the Destiny universe, we know it by another name. It's called the Collapse. And the Collapse was basically a supernatural, extra-dimensional disaster. <laughs> where basically, it's, it's basically equivalent to the end times of Warhammer Fantasy, where things are just not okay. Um, during the Whirlwind, the Elixir Empire was attacked by both the Darkness, which is the main antagonist of this universe. They're kind of equivalent to Chaos in a way, but they're not fully developed at the same time. They're even more mysterious, basically, than Chaos. And the Hive, which are... 
a mix of Drukari and Chaos Demons and also Orcs. Um, but they can be covered some other time. Regardless, these two combined forces um, worked together to attack the Elixir Empire, which again was a multiple star system empire. And as these two forces, both of which are supernatural in nature and possess magic and the ability to warp reality around them, the Elixir Empire wasn't going to do so hot. <laughs> well, I should say they were doing pretty hot. Chance, what chance did humanity have? I should mention they did prove really hot because a lot of planets were actually glassed. Not glassed. Um, the planet became a fireball. <laughs> I mean, the process of so, glassing a planet make, does make it very hot, so you're not wrong. Yes. You're not um, wrong. I mean, it's, it's not as bad as a planet being bisected perfectly in half, so. Ooh. That happened? Yeah. <laughs> it's really fucked up the things that can happen. <laughs> Hashtag, I mean, 40k is not overpowered. Uh, for reference, there's a character whose power, basically, they can move their hand. Like, they, they basically do a, a swift motion, and everything on that axis is cut in half. Well, damn. Yeah. I don't know how that works in space, or, you know, how it doesn't kill everything, but, you know, that's just me. Just, just wondering how physics works. Why would anyone fight that guy? I was like, can can this guy like localize that power to just like a single person or um he once cut things that should not be able to be destroyed well I mean they can be but it's really he basically cut a ghost in half like five times just by moving his hand okay and then at, and then after that ghost proceeded to kill his guardian in the same way and then the ship that they were in in that order so, so first the ghost died, and then the guy holding the ghost died, and then the ship that he was in got got bisected. Now, it'd be really scary if he did it in the opposite order. Oh, yeah, the ship breaks, then you, then your ghost? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you have one instance. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'll just get a one to fucked up. That's pretty fucked up. <laughs> I mean, there's one instance where uh, one of where a god basically throws a black hole. No, wait, he doesn't throw a black hole. He eats a black hole. Sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry, my trivial mistake. He doesn't throw one. He eats one. My mistake. Sorry. I'm just popping that shit like candy. <laughs> but those are for other. Those are for later events. Um. Yeah, so again, this war is not great because I just described some of the fucking forces we're dealing with here with the darkness and the fucking hive gods reigning destruction. Overall, the whirlwind was fucking horrible. Obviously, with, again, multiple houses greater and lesser being destroyed or at the very least being totally decimated. And it was actually at the height, at the very moment when the battle for Reese was at its most dire and most extreme, uh, many of the Elixni houses tried to leave. They basically were forced um, to fight their way off-world. So you have to imagine this planet's being blockaded by an entire fleet, of, like several fleets of these terrible, terrible ships, full of, again, people who are effectively reality warpers, having to fight their way out. Maybe they survive. They have a better chance of trying to fight their way out than staying on planet, though, honestly. But some did. Some ships out of entire fleets managed to escape. However, while some of the lesser houses were escaping, there was one house, one of the uh, oldest and one of the greatest of the great houses, remained on Reese, on, the ha on their capital world. 
And it was from this house that a hero rose up. His name was Chelchis, and he was the Kel of Stone. Um, he was a leader and champion of the house and one of their greatest warriors, if not their greatest warrior. And he took up his sword and led the charge against the hive and the darkness in equal measure. Um, and initially it was just him. Initially it was just him. His, his uh, house told him not to fight. That it was better to just hide and try to wait out the storm. But he refused and chose to fight anyway. And initially it, was, it looked like, you know, there's, it's one guy, it's our leader, but it's one guy trying to fight an army. And initially everyone was doubtful that he would ever come back. And he never did. But out of curiosity, they started to notice that the battles were getting lesser and lesser. And as they began to actually leave from the hiding places, they found that Chelchus was actually taking the fight to the hive and the darkness. And as they saw him earning, you know, small victories, small duels against initially impossible foes, against things that seemed impossible, they started to rise up themselves, taking weapons, taking swords, taking hammers, taking guns into their arm, into their hands, and actually join, joining Chelchus on the battlefield. I can fight! And one by one, they started earning victories, earning uh, one, earning battles, earning victories uh, behind them, and actually began to. They they didn't tip the scales, but they were definitely like proving to be an effective force. So much so that Chelchus actually tore his way into the heart of the Hive army. And this while he was at its heart, like, so this guy sounded like the Slixy version of like a Doom guy or a Gringy, pretty much. Yeah, he is. He is one of the. Uh, he's one of their greatest heroes. Um, so much so that they only tell like his story, this story I'm telling you guys now, once a generation because they don't want to spoil his legacy by repeatedly retelling it. That's what he's looking like right now. <laughs> 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 so, um, yes, as he found, he eventually found his way into the heart of the Hive army. And because of all of his victories, because of how much he proved himself, he actually earned the eye of the Hive god, of their leader, Oryx, the Taken King. And Oryx is known, he's very much like Sigismund from 40k, where like, he, Oryx will always fight the biggest, baddest warriors, always find the biggest battles generals, and Chelchus is the same fucking way. So these two guys are just eyeing each other up, and Oryx kind of notices him, and he actually presents his hand to, um, oh yeah, <laughs> that's Chelchus right there. That goes so That's well. fucking Chelchus. That's fucking Chelchus there standing down. And initially, Oryx actually goes to him, and he actually offers Chelchus's hand. He actually tells this this uh, this Elixni house leader, join me. Like, join me in my crusade against the stars. Help me destroy all life in the universe. Because the high are super generic bad guys. And he offers Chelchus this chance, like, take my hand, and I won't kill you. I won't even kill your... I won't even kill the members of your house. Take your house into my hold and join me against the universe. And all Chelchus does is raise his sword and says that he will not betray the Traveler or the Elixni. And he ends up going to battle with Oryx, who again is a hive god. And I gotta admit, Chelchus does, he doesn't win, but he's keeping up with a hive god. A young one, a young god, but... It's still an and it's still an uh, an impressive feat, regardless. However, 
Um, he actually ends up managing to get the upper hand and actually push Oryx back. He actually managed to push him back. He's, he's exhausted, he's tired, but he manages to push Oryx back. And a moment of effectively sheer um, devotion, he raises his head to the sky to look at the Traveler and, try, and asks and basically says a prayer for the Traveler to give him strength, to give him strength to defeat Oryx, to win. And it's at that moment that he realizes the Traveler, the Great Machine, is gone. It's left. It vanished. It abandoned him. It abandoned this entire race. And it's at that moment that all he can say as he looks to this empty sky is, where's the Great Machine? And as he begins to look down, he sees Oryx standing in front of him. And Oryx, using this moment of hesitation, impales Chelchus through the chest and kills him instantly. Yeah. And without their leader, the rest of House of, of House Stone, which is what uh, Chelchus was the leader of, is wiped out. However, to further add to his legacy and to the almost um, knife twist that it is, Chelchus and his house had earned so many victories that they could have left the planet. That he and his house could have abandoned Reese and probably escaped with a good amount of their people intact. But Chelchus chose to stay on Reese and chose to continue fighting the Hive in the darkness because he believed that the longer he stayed, the more fallen, the more elixni from other houses that could escape. And his house, his people, his people, the House of Stone, admired him so much that they were willing to die instead of leave the planet to let other elixni escape instead. Yep, I think I found the House Stark equivalent here. <laughs> Well, I mean, there is actually a symbolic nature to Chelchus too that makes him so such a tragic hero for the for the Elixni. because similar, we'll, we'll use we'll house, use House Stark. I use King Arthur as an example, but I'll use House Stark instead. You have to think of Chelchus as a Ned Stark figure, as the paragon of honor, of virtue, of self-sacrifice, and similar to most figureheads. When they die, a lot of what they stood for also crumbles behind them. Chelchus being a figure of virtue, of heroism, of self-sacrifice, of honor. When he died, a lot of those same virtues died across the Elixni race. And so much so that that's also why they don't want to repeat his tale. They don't want to spoil it with the, um, with the dishonor, with the greed, with the violence of the current age of the Elixni. Well, just like in Game of Thrones when Ned Stark got beheaded, spoiler alert for those for who for some reason have ne never seen Game of Thrones, like there are obviously some people who were inspired to take up what uh, Ned had started. So was there not a Fallen or Elixni equivalent to that or... I will get to why a lot of those virtues basically became impossible to maintain. So, the thing is, while a lot of the Elixir managed to escape, this is where they truly become the Fallen. And the reason why is because while they leave, while whatever is left of them managed to leave, like leave the system, their planets, all their systems are dead. They are left with nothing but dead worlds. 
and their god, the Traveler, their great machine, has abandoned them. This left whatever fallen were left. They, they have to imagine this equivalent to the fall of the Eldar, where whatever survived Slanesh being born, they are not in a good state. <laughs> that's the that's a very good like example. These whatever is left of these houses, a greater or lesser, regardless, are not in great states. They've survived battle damage. They've survived probably the worst war around them. And they just watched their empire collapse and burn into nothing. Now all the Elixni, which were once a a people of a beautiful paradise world and ruling across potentially a hundred different planets, were now all stuck on void-born ships, on soulless metal hunks floating through space. Ships that need to be maintained, that need to be protected, that need to be resupplied, repaired. And without the equipment or the factories able to manufacture new pieces, the only way to repair your ship is to attack and steal those parts from another ship. And with the current situation being a lot of the houses being brutally damaged, and a lot of these houses having long-standing, potentially ancient rivalries, from the time when the Fallen or the Elixir were still a primitive feudal empires. A lot of these Fallen are going to start taking, a lot of these different houses, big or small, are going to start capitalizing on this. Those who would have otherwise not taken advantage or would have just been like restrained by social graces in a way are now put in such a desperate situation that the only way to survive is to effectively cannibalize your own race. This actually led to a really dark period in Fallen history that they don't really record. That's basically their excuse for not having a lot of information on it. But what is what is known about this period is that it is a very dark time. Because houses were effectively being bullied into either extinction or submission. You had a lot of the greater houses that had more that had larger armies, greater fleets beginning to actually attack a lot of the lesser houses, or yet other lesser houses actually join together to defeat greater houses, only to then begin infighting on who gets the spoils and who becomes a leader of their little group, effectively. Um, worse, the worst, though, the people who got it the worst is House Judgment. Because if you remember, I said House Judgment was kind of scattered across all of the Fallen Houses as ambassadors. These ambassadors are not very useful in a situation where it's effectively a, a perpetual civil war. So every single one of those ambassadors was given a choice. Abandon your house. Abandon house judgment and join ours or die. And almost all of them refused to bend the knee and they were slaughtered. Because they chose to stay loyal to house judgment. And to this day, only one um, elixir of house judgment is alive. And his name is Varix the Loyal. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Yes. Well, this period's like Mad Max in space. Basically, yeah. I had a question. Mad Max. Like the whole world, the whirlwind and collapsing. This was, so it's like the with the collapse of the humans. This is all happening at the same time with everyone? Or is it like the fallen? No, it's happening in the lead. Yeah. Yeah, Fallen had it first, the Traveler left them, it found humanity, it gave them a golden age, and then the collapse happened for the humans, and then after the collapse, the Fallen reached humanity. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. So this period of civil war could have this period of civil war has probably lasted around three hundred years because that's how long humanity's golden age lasted. So you can imagine this period of perpetual infighting having lasted three hundred years, if not more. Hmm. In the grim darkness, there is only war. Yes. Um. So again, Mad Max coming out with mortal engines in space. Pretty cool concept. <laughs> um, too bad they don't do a lot with it. However, this period of civil war is also known as the long pilgrimage or the long migration to a lot of the younger fallen. Because it basically got to the point where they could not maintain civil war. <laughs> like, all the houses had basically been in such a, a distraught period of civil war that it was basically like, hey, we cannot afford to fight, but we cannot afford to run. So we need to basically, like keep our fingers on the triggers at all times because if we're late firing a single missile we could all die it was effectively the dark forest me and me and shark had this discussion like friday so i'm it's i'm bringing it up again because it's kind of topical <laughs> and it was basically like civil war was over but not really and it was basically like hey we're just gonna keep traveling and find the traveler and we're gonna try and not tear each other apart on the way there but we're not friends, and if you get too close to me, I will open fire. <laughs> so it's like one overly long Mexican standoff. Yeah, it's basically basically imagine a Mexican standoff where you're trying to cross the country, but you're trying to where you're trying to cross, maintain the Mexican standoff while also traveling across America. You've got mail. Yeah, that's that's pretty correct. <laughs> that's that's pretty good, Gerald. <laughs> the office is everything. The office is like <laughs> now to add a bit more of an insult to injury because if things couldn't get worse, I guess it did. Um, one by one, the houses, uh, large or small, taking whatever spoils they managed to claim from their enemies, managed to actually reach the solar system to Earth and the Soul system. And as one by one, as one ship after another began entering the system. Every single one of them was met with the same horrifying discovery. The traveler had betrayed them and chosen another person, like another another person for it to uplift. It chose humanity. Basically, yeah. Now, the thing is, though, is that despite seeing this, despite seeing this horror, a lot of the fallen were willing to forgive the traveler. Almost like your partner cheated on you, you want to forgive them. They seen, uh, but obviously not this, not at all. Um, you see, they seen this, and they were actually willing to forgive the traveler, not so much take it back, but forgive it in the way that um, it was basically like, okay, well, we can forgive that you chose someone else because you assumed that we were down. Like it was basically like, I don't blame you. Like you guys understand what I mean? Like they could, they didn't blame the traveler for replacing them because, as far as they were aware, they it probably thought that they were dead. But it's like a not as good as that is type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. As while they really did forgive that, on, I call bullshit. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. While they were willing to forgive that, though. There was a vengeful fury that actually began to rise up among them. One that was actually nurtured and actually made worse by the former religious leaders of the Elixir race, the Archons. So the Archons were basically the priests of each house. 
each house basically had their own priests. And these Archon priests were basically the Mechanicus. Because they were basically both spiritual leaders and technical engineers. Because like the Mechanicus, they were seen as basically religious figures. Because they actually worship technology in its entirety because they worship the Traveler. They worship all technology. Um, the, the Servitors are like at the peak of basically the icons they worship with varying degrees of machines um, below them getting less and less, um, how do I put it, um, religious significance. So like, for example, a computer might be given very surface, very minimal, like religious significance, but your drone that has always been with you for your entire life, you're going to put a lot of religious significance in that because it's a drone that's been with you. And then your server and the servitor, the thing that literally provides you the things you need to survive, it literally produces ether. You're going to worship that as basically a demigod. Now, whether that was something the Fallen naturally believed or something that was further pushed by the Archons seeking to solidify their hold over Fallen culture, I'll leave that up to you. But I think given my long-winded uh, comment, I think you know which side I fall into. <laughs> I kind of think of it as like almost necessity because they kind of need those machines to survive. So yeah. Like, it's like it's like when people used to worship God to make it rain. It's like, yeah, well, if it rains, then your crops grow. So you kind of want it to rain. That's hence why you <laughs> worship the rain God. <laughs> that makes sense why you, yeah it's it's very much that yes especially you should also explain the necessity of how bad the situation is that they end up worshiping it but yeah you put it very succinctly yeah i saw a i saw a, a meme once it's like uh like a plumber like in the underside of a house or whatnot says this is the main control panel to the furnace all the numbers all the numbers and uh buttons are completely like faded out but i know the proper sequence of it and so I just do that same sequence every time I have to go and fix it. And I have never, ever, ever felt more related to the Mechanicus than that, than just now. <laughs> yeah. As a plumber, I can't agree. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> to add to the Archons inflaming the rage, um, Gerald, do you remember how in our last Disney episode I mentioned how humanity turned all of his weapons against the Traveler? <laughs> to keep it from running away, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, the Archons took advantage of that because they noticed that the Traveler had a huge chunk of its like shell broken at the bottom and actually began to twist the narrative with the Archons um, actually claiming that the Traveler was stolen from them by humanity. And then when, he, when the Traveler tried to escape, they murdered it, explaining why its shell is broken and why it... I've mentioned before, when you see the Traveler in Destiny 1, it kind of is like hanging almost like it's just barely being suspended in the air like it's almost like lifeless with how it's floating which is not how it should be when it's alive when it's alive it's like glowing and radiating energy so the fallen knowing what it looks like alive combined with the evidence of it being broken and the archons wanting to maintain power and their status in in culture basically claim that humanity shot and imprisoned and later killed the traveler and tried to run so Kind of like so, how certain prophets lied to the covenant about humanity being a bunch of abominations that need to be exterminated just to keep power. Interesting. On top of their culture. <laughs> Makes you wonder. 
I can't quite yeah. put my, th- my finger to it, though. <laughs> is it just me, though, or is this traveler a gigantic asshole? Like, everybody, oh. everybody looks at the thing as like, let's worship this thing as a god, because clearly it's here to help us. And then it just turns to them, it's like, I was just looking for a parking spot, bro. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> Why do we keep worshiping things that affect the it, weather? It's, it never like, is good for us. It's just a dude looking for a parking spot, and the darkness is just the guy who's giving out tickets. <laughs> He's just staying one step ahead of him at all times. As soon as he gets there, he leaves. <laughs> If humans are to Cthulhu like ants are to humans, why can't ants summon you? The answer is they should. The humans just the humans just uh slashed his tires. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Shark figured it out. He cracked a case. He knows too much. While the Archons preach the traveler is dead and humanity murdered it. Not all the Fallen believe it, like, not a lot of Fallen go with it. A lot of them actually believe the Traveler isn't actually dead, but just wounded and dormant. And they believe that the Traveler is dormant because it realized humanity wasn't worthy of its light, its power, and it's just waiting dormant for the Fallen to recover it. So it's almost like, so to use the breakup analogy, it's almost like you got cheated on and now you're waiting for the person who cheated on you to come back to you because in reality, you were the right person all along. <laughs> so it's, oh my it's, God. it's like when your girlfriend breaks up with you and then you hit the gym, get jacked, and then you're like, hey, look at me now. <laughs> Ain't I hot shit? So to really <laughs> to really set in how how much the fallen have fallen from grace of the hundreds of great houses and thousands of lesser houses that had basically ruled over Reese and the Stellar Empire, only six survived and reached Seoul. Oof. Yeah. So of those houses, they were the House of Kings, the House of Winter, the House of Devils. The House of Scar, the House of Wolves, and the House of Rain. So, each one of these houses are basically... They'd be equivalent to House Lannister, House Stark. They, they're basically like the great houses. And they're all that's left. Mm. Now, to add more insult to injury is that the Fallen couldn't get a win. Both houses Scar and houses Rain would be driven to extinction with house Scar um, supposedly uh, destroyed and consumed by all of the other fallen houses. Effectively, they picked they picked Scar clean is meant to be the joke. And then house Rain was killed because they were the first ones to try and establish a colony within the solar system and were killed because of their hopefulness. <laughs> I am not joking. One of the fallen ships says that House Rain was was stupid for trying to immediately establish a new colony. How could they not realize that, that their peace-loving ways would drive them to extinction? <laughs> so to bring it back to the Dark Forest, mm-hmm. just because you exist in the forest... I'm still going to shoot you in the fucking head. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) They were actually killed by the Vex. 
And for people who know the Vex, they should know that the Vex are not a kind race to fight. So that left literally only four of the hundreds of thousands of houses left, being, again, Winter Kings, Devils, and Wolves. However, despite these four acting as effectively the big dogs in the system, because each one kind of viewed themselves as, oh, I'm, I'm Top Gun, you guys are my rivals, there are actually two technically minor houses that would actually rise up to fill the places of House Rain and House Scar. So one of these houses was House Exile, which is actually a house that was considered a minor house that actually didn't exist until human, until the Fallen entered the solar system. And they're actually made from the rejects, the failures, the unwanted dregs of all the other houses, and they basically broken off to form their own house. You gotta imagine if, like, every single homeless person and criminal across the planet basically left their country and went to form their own country. <laughs> basically Australia 2.0. <laughs> you made the joke before I did. <laughs> and the sixth house um, to join the big dogs in the system is House Judgment, which is a house of one. Again, with Varix Deloyal as the sole member. And for reference, Varix is very sad at this point. <laughs> I should also mention uh, he doesn't stay alone for long. He actually ends up being captured by another one of the houses. To basically be made into a a propaganda piece. Basically, I have how I have the last member of House Judgment, and he's on my side. Look at him; he speaks for me. Isn't that right, Varix Loyal? Yeah, that's right. See, he says that I should be king of everything. So, uh, bow to me, kind of thing. So he's like good old Bobby G, and he's now suffering from ultra depression. Yep. <laughs> he's yeah, he's and the again, in the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Now, how am I going to put this very easily? Um, Give me one second to post this picture. Copy. Well, while I am trying to load this, I will continue with my point. So, no one has asked the question I expected anyone to ask, and that's, how big are the full-on houses? I had a similar question I was going to ask, but I wanted to wait until you were done with making your point. Well, was that, well you can ask your question. Well, like, with... First, they were at hundreds of houses. Now they're down to like six major houses. Now they're down to four major houses. Like, how close are they to like endangered species level? So I'm guessing that's similar to the question you were wanting us to ask. Yes. So there's no exact. I've, I sent a picture of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, seven fallen houses. I see what you now. Do, I'm watching you. <laughs> Actually, there's like close to 12 houses at this point, but forget that for now. <laughs> shh, 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 shh. We'll just keep to the seven reference. Um, so there's no exact number on uh, the houses on how big they are, but um, conservative estimates points to the fact that a house could be several millions of fallen. So it's not in the billions. If anything, it'd be they probably aren't even the hundreds of billions. They're probably only the tens of billions at most. But it's still a decent number. I should also mention that when they reproduce, they reproduce in multiples. So, like, I think it said they have, like, four or five children on average. 
because in one cutscene, a fallen is carrying all of her babies on her, and she has like five of them. So, like the rats, they're not swamped for numbers. Are they explosive breeders? Then, um, to my knowledge, it's basically they produce the five, and then they say, and then they raise the five until maturity, and then they can start having more. So they do go through like I'm. Ass- it's more like a wave of it's like waves of generations. Well, if you have if you have five and then wait till maturity, then that means that those five can have five and then you can also have another five. Yes. So that's also why people say that the fallen are going to outnumber humanity and that we should keep killing them. (laughs) (laughs) So they're nowhere close to being endangered, basically. Yeah, they do have male and female, right? It's not just yes, like... they do. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking like for some reason hermaphroditic. No, they're ma- they're male and females, These but the males are. are t- yeah, but typically the males are um, absent fathers at best, <laughs> and they actually make a point that uh, male fallen do not coddle their children, because there's actually a point. Um, I might cover him later, um, where actually a male fallen actually adopts. Um, a daughter um and he's actually seen as weak for um like why why are you raising a child you're not a woman you should be trying to form your own army and he kind of says that he is forming an army an army of one and he's holding his baby in his arm pathetic i'm thinking so i'm thinking of that viking named child lover who just didn't kill babies and all the other vikings made fun of him <laughs> I mean, the fallen have committed acts of cannibalism. So, in this day and age, that name can has a can have a very different connotation to it. <laughs> I, I'm sure there is a reason he didn't kill babies. <laughs> anyway, good, good man. I'm gonna assume, <laughs> but yeah. So, several million fallen per house, um, and the houses do vary in size, but. Um, to make it blunt, the smallest house is obviously house uh, judgment because it's literally just one person. <laughs> Can I send a picture of their alphabet? Fallen alphabet. I want you guys to see this because it's actually very, very interesting. You've got mail. So the fallen script, their fallen alphabet is very... Well, you can see it's similar to the to the human alphabet, except it's missing Z and K and X. But they also have a lot of... What's the word? symbolism with how they uh draw runes and script where like a symbol where like very similar to like japanese kanji a single um like basically depending on how they lay out their uh their scriptures they can actually have really complex and uh intense meanings behind them with um in one instance you find fallen graffiti on a wall and because of how it's overlaid it actually tells a story of a fallen um, massacre that occurred by uh, one Saint Fourteen. <laughs> Wait, so like, you're it's like the different letters are superimposed over top of each other to make like its own symbol almost. Um, that's only for Im- that's only for imagery or for really in depth symbolism. Otherwise, it's written very similar to hum- to um, like English, where it's one letter after another in repeated succession. But if they want to have something very complex or elaborate, like for example, um, like for example, what I was saying about um, the story of this massacre, it's basically forming a 
artistic image out of the overlapping letters to basically create an image. And that image is meant to detail this story. That's pretty cool. Like, oh, like medieval Muslim communities had like very fancy script where like all the, you know, all the Arabic letters were superimposed over each other to make like your regal name or something like that. So that's really cool. That's really cool. So I went over there, the individual houses, I went over their alphabet, but I really need to go over their their hierarchy and their overall layout of their society to really go over how things have changed. So at this point, we have fallen in the system. We have only four great houses left and two lesser houses that are technically upstarts rising up. I need to go over how they changed to best example how they've twisted and gone from again a noble almost regal feudal society um into what are effectively barbaric mass murderers and raiders so each of the houses each house no matter how big or small is ruled by a kel so kel sending it out so you guys can it so you guys can see how it's spelt and if you guys remember chelchis was named the kel of stone and the reason why that is, is because when you are the Kel of a house, you earn the name Kel of X or X or um, Kel of blank. And you basically fill that in with whatever your house's name is. So Kelchis was of the house Stone. So he is um, Kel of Stone. So for someone like example uh skolos who is the kel of wolves because he leads the house of wolves you can kind of see how this can kind of play out with how a leader how the leaders are assigned um kels are military position that is earned by um defeating the previous kel in single combat i demand a trial by combat and typically you have to, as a sign of dominance, remove his lower arms. So you might notice that the removing of this memberment is a big part of fallen society. <laughs> yeah. Your little story time kind of uh made that quite clear. It's like it's yeah. like it's like head taking in medieval cultures. Yes, yes, yes. Is that the fallen can survive getting their their uh arms ripped off. So the the like I said, the Kel is the top authority. He is the leader, the general, the chief political authority, and what he says is law. He is the absolute leader. However, he also has subordinates or people who work alongside him or under him. Um, the first one is the Archon Prime. So if you remember, Archons are the priests. The Archon Prime is basically the high priest of the house. He's basically the he'd be equivalent to like the what the tech, the tech Magos of a Forge World, the like the leader of Forge World. Effectively, he is in charge of maintaining all the technology, maintaining, rebuilding everything. Except unlike in 40k, where they don't know how to rebuild most of their stuff, the Archons do. They can make and remake a bunch of stuff. They're able to do that. And a lot of Archons, um, actually, so much the tech priests replace parts of their bodies with bionics as a, uh, um, to try and it, uh, get closer to divinity. So, bunch of ripping something else off. <laughs> and like I said, because the fallen worship machines and they created machines in the image of the traveler. Again, the servitors. Um, the Archon's role is to maintain the servitors, especially. So if you guys remember how I was saying they will feed servitors organic material, 
to basically convert that organic material into ether. It is the Archons, and especially the Archon Prime, who feeds the material or finds and presents the material almost in a ritualistic way to the servitors. So again, similar to 40k, where like you might walk down a hallway and clip all these switches and do something like really ritualistic in a way. And to you and in 40k, that's a scene that's seen as almost a religious thing. It's just simple maintenance. It's the same with the uh, archons. Or like this ritual of presenting organic material to the to the servitors she was such reverence. Despite the fact that it's such a it's such a base function that the servitors are expected to do. <laughs> um, additionally, servitors, while they do produce food, they also serve as a deposit for information because they can actually um, act as a storage for information for fallen to put information into to access. So, like, basically, they might bring. So, if they're trying to teach young fallen something, they might bring a servitor to actually provide them the information either in the form of a hologram or as like something that the server has inside mm-hmm. they're they're kind of like really important and almost equivalent to squigs in a way with how important they are to fallen society <laughs> now among the servitors though is the prime servitor so archon prime prime servitor these two are basically constantly working together um, the Prime Server is basically the main producer of Ether for an entire house, with all the other servitors being exponentially less productive. So effectively, you'll in-game of Destiny, you'll notice that there are servitors of varying sizes. Some are just small beach ball size, others are the size of humans, some are the size of multiple humans, and then some are, fa- are the size of, of small buildings. And these ones that are size of small buildings are what are prime servitors, and they produce most of the ether for an entire house. So that should kind of explain just how, how the general top-tier layout is for Fallen Hierarchy. Any questions on how that is laid out, though, before I continue any further? <laughs> I'm sure the questions will come like after the episode wraps up. For sure, for sure. Okay. Now, I will send you a picture of a Kel. So this is Skolas, the, the leader of the House of Wolves. So Isn't that a DLC? Yep. Because you mentioned like Taken King, House of, or yeah, House of Wolves. I'm like, wait a minute. I think these are DLC titles too. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, now, another thing though is that the Kells and the Archon Primes, they actually jealously hoard ether produced from the uh, servitors. Like, again, Exo mentioned this being very similar to a Mafia kind of uh, layout. It's very similar to that, in that basically the Kells and the Archons control the flow of ether, and they will distribute out ether proportional to where you as a Fallen are ranked in the hierarchy. So, the lower you are, the less ether you get, and by extension, the more closer you are to starving to death. And they actually will adjust the amount you receive based on your victories or successes or failures or loyalties or disloyalties. So you have Kells who will actually regularly test their subordinates' loyalty with simple, very easy-to-fail tests, simply for excuses to cut their ether and take it for themselves. Because again, consuming ether allows them to grow bigger and stronger and live longer. 
I mean, it just sounds like all it takes is just, all it could take is just one very petty kill to be just like, mm, I don't like you. Okay, your rations are gonna be cut. I'll I'll, I'll be uh, some reason reason later. That would be house devils. I will get to them. <laughs> so they they're using ether like how medieval people used to use food as currency. Yeah. Okay. Or how the mechanicus yeah. used to add more into the. Yeah, to add more into the medieval theme, there are barons. <laughs> so, while a kel leads a house, a house can be several millions of fallen, he might entrust some of his most experienced warlords and underlings, um, and he might offer them the title of baron. So a baron is basically a high-ranking, gen- one of the highest-ranking uh, generals in fallen culture, one of the highest ranks in fallen culture in general. Um, they are effectively the second-in-command under the Archon Prime and the Kel in general. And what makes them so impressive is they are basically in charge of their own small army. So they are equivalent, so very similar to barons and barons of medieval Europe. They're given their own um, small army as well as their own fleet of ships to effectively patrol and pirate space and swear loyalty to their Kel. Summon the Elector Counts! I shall also mention each Kel has what is called a Ketch. A Ketch is basically their spaceships and... To give an example of how big they are, um, some of them are about the, um, I believe, catches are described or as, or are, are comparable to Star Destroyers in Star Wars. <laughs> that is what a catch looks like. I just sent a picture of it. But um, yeah, they're equivalent... That's poorly shaped. <laughs> I can tell you from experience, it should not look like that. <laughs> it looks a bit phallic. It looks a bit. It literally has one. It literally has one circular engine. It's just missing another one. <laughs> it's got like the spot for another circular engine too. It's it's like they removed one of the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's what. Maybe that's what fallen dick looks like. Yeah. I'll show you a picture of what the underside of one looks like. <laughs> that doesn't look any better. That? Nope, it looks worse, and I think that's why I sent it. <laughs> Even in the grim darkness of the destiny setting, Slanesh still enters the chat. <laughs> Here, I'll send one more. You've got mail. Okay, well that one just looks like a triangle. Okay, that looks. That one looks like a shitty spaceship. <laughs> But regardless, um, each Kel typically has his own catch. Um, they either have one or two catches. I believe one. I believe it's House Kings has three. But you have to imagine these as like again, they're star destroyers, but these are the the pinnacle of their starship technology. So only a star destroyer in size. <laughs> How pedestrian! How pedestrian! Shallow and so, pedantic. <laughs> so this is what the that's what the um a catch which is again these large spaceships is what a kel would be in charge of and um while a kel is in charge of those the kel um like their ship the catch typically has 
a number of skiffs on board. I just sent a picture of what a skiff looks like. Oh, I remember that. But the yeah, these are basically the regular spaceships of the Fallen. So a Baron will have typically a fleet of three or four of these, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's like it's like three or four ships. And each one of those has like their own their own host of fallen on them, so they have their own smaller armies. I think like one of the early missions in Destiny, like you had to, there was a docked one that you had to basically invade or board. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. They're they're actually pretty big though. They depending on how they're like laid out, they look a little awkward because they look kind of small, and other times they look fucking massive. But I think when it when you actually play them in game, they're a lot more bearable in size. Um, I am sending a picture of a Baron now. Um, for reference, a Baron is about eight or nine feet tall. Yep, yep, I remember these guys. <laughs> they're so hard to kill. Yes. Yeah, they're really fun, though. And while Barons uh, manage multiple ships, they do have a rank under them. And these are captains. So captains are the same as barons, except they are only granted one ship. And while they aren't um, subordinates to barons, they typically will listen when a baron gives an order. It's very much it's very much like a sergeant compared to like a regular trooper, and that's except they aren't your leader. They're more just like a guy who has higher rank over you. And although you're not technically directly subordinate to them, you should probably follow what they're going to say because they they might tell the Kel that you aren't worthy of your regular ether rations. Because <laughs> a regular sergeant's not going to rip off your underarms for for insubordination. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking like more of like a tribalistic system. Like you got the one tribe that bullies the other and then the next, like you're going down the ladder. Yeah. So, like, you got Grand Chief, who's just bullying everybody, and then you he can got, do whatever he wants. Yeah, like he's—you don't have your thumb directly on him, but uh, you got guys to bully him for you. Yeah. Well, I should mention when a fallen's arms are removed, like that's called docking. When that happens, it's typically supposed to be done in the presence of the highest-ranking fallen there. So, for example, if a fallen is going to get its arms ripped off and only a captain is available, the captain should be present to either witness it or perform the action themselves. So, if you're around somewhere, so like, let's say you're around a fucking, um, I don't know, let's say you're within the, you're within, a, you're around a kel, and you do something that typically pisses some, pisses him off. He might be the ones rip off your lower arms. <laughs> so, so it is like head taking, where you kind of like. You're kind of doing it as like a show of dominance, but also like to impress somebody. Yeah. And humiliate. Yeah. yeah also, that, that needs a better name. Once again, docking does just. Ooh. <laughs> now, I just sent a picture of a, a typical Archon. So as I mentioned, Archons are more are more mechanical. They typically have um, either cybernetic limbs or at the very least um, cybernetic implants to enhance their biological limbs ability. So like they might not replace your entire limb, like they may not replace your arm, but they might put like extra extra like by like I don't know, press in your arm to make you punch and lift more weights. 
or pun- punch harder and lift more. And they're also a bitch to hunt to fight because they actually have a lot more health to reflect that they have biological uh, mechanical parts. Like they actually replace some organs with like they're they're more they're based in Mechanicus. I'm not gonna like shortcut. They're based in Mechanicus. Based the flesh is weak, but they need a uh, Drukari name to not completely uh, steal from GW's homework. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And yeah, they're they're like I said, each Archon is typically in charge of maintaining the um, technology and equipment of a house, and typically each uh, skiff, which is the individual ship has at least one Archon on it, whereas the more skilled Barons will typically have two or even three Archons under them to reflect that they have commander of multiple ships and by and have a higher rank. So they're it's almost like the progeny glance for Space Marines, where like the more Space Marines you have, the more Space Marines you can make in the future. The more Archons you have, the more Ether you can technically collect. So if you have so having multiple archons means you can collect more ether than someone who has less archons. So I'm assuming like the mechanicus if they lose a piece of technology like there's no way to get it back. It depends on the technology because for most cases they can unlike the imperium they will actually try to uh what's the word reverse engineer. So if they ever lose something, like unless everything is gone, then they lose it permanently. But they are very willing to reverse engineer. There's actually one house that specializes in reverse engineering to the point that they have actually like they're more advanced because of how willing they are to reverse engineer other races technology. So unlike 40K, these guys can actually innovate without any kind of consequences. Yeah. But they need someone um, else to make the innovation first so they can copy it. Yeah. Like, for themselves, they basically stop progressing technologically, but they will attack another race, and if they say, fine, oh, humans made this new type of energy gun, well, can we reverse engineer it and put some of that stuff into our weapons? Or And then they're like, well, we can, yeah, and then we'll, and then they'll do that. But... It's predominantly focused on, like, they have what they have, and they can try to take other people's stuff. So they're like the smart, genius, but lazy kid in class that they can, if they apply themselves, they can basically, like, straight ace their way through the entirety of high school, but they just don't give a fuck. Well, replace the not giving a fuck with, yeah, we're kind of too busy infighting each other for anyone to properly innovate. The best chance we got is to take whatever we can get from everyone else and then try to work off that. <laughs> they don't, there's never a moment of peace for them, for them to properly innovate and progress technology in a way that isn't militaristic. Now for the most common um, fallen type, the most numerous of their race, because if it wasn't obvious, the fallen actually gets smaller as they go down the cast. And this is again, because of how much ether they consume. And the most common form of uh, Fallen are the Vandals. So the Vandals look like this. These guys are about the same, about the height of a regular human. They're about six feet tall. So um, these are the most basic Fallen. I, I'm not going to go over them too much because I went over their biology. This is, this is that. Stronger than humans, live basically immortal. Pretty basic. Now they are the most numerous type. But the second most numerous type of Fallen are the Dregs. Now, you remember how I mentioned docking, right? Shark loves docking? Mm. 
<laughs> so docking is the removal of the lower set of arms of a fallen. Can you look at this picture of a drag I just sent you? And count how many arms it has. Oh, look at the little nubs. It's got little nubs. And that is because uh, the dregs are fallen who have failed in some way. And as a result of their failure, they have had their lower set of arms removed, either ripped off or um, surgically removed with some sort of bladed weapon while they're conscious. So, you know, you get, a, you get an axe to cut off your arm. <laughs> This looks like, like the poster child for one of those like Sarah McLaughlin commercials with like the really sad song <laughs> playing in the background. <laughs> it's like with with just your donation, you too can help these poor dregs who have failed miserably. Okay, so now I kind of get it. It's like when you in medieval times they would cut off an arm for stealing. It's like a mark of shame. Like if you were missing an arm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because then people and know yeah. you're a thief. Yes. It's also as a way to... Um, it, I, I'm not going to lie here. It's also used by some fallen uh, Kells to um, ration ether. That, they might, that they'll actually willingly look for um, fallen to, for lack of a better word, throw under the bus and make an example of. Both to show their strength, but also to f- ration ether more efficiently. And there are actually some houses that you'll notice that have a lot of dregs, implying that they're actually struggling to ration ether properly. And then there are some houses that have no dregs, implying that they actually have a very strong hold on ether consumption. So, these so guys are there's both a petty to both oh, humans and to each other. Yes, 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 yes. But Shark did make a very good example of it being a mark of shame. Although Fallen can regrow their limbs, like I said, if they consume enough ether, they can actually regrow limbs. So this actually drove, has driven a lot of dregs to almost, in a zealous fury, try to reclaim their honor. Because at the state they are in now, they're basically considered worse than dirt. That they're basically considered so worthless that they don't, that they barely even, they are effectively starving. They are literally starving because they are given so little ether compared to everyone else. So I might be so, getting I might be getting ahead of us here, but wouldn't that kind of make some dregs like turn to I don't know like someone else or ally with someone else besides the one the ones that threw them under the bus? See, there are some cases of that. For example, one of the houses that I mentioned, although aside from another fallen or specifically another archon. Fallen can't get ether. So they are actually very dependent on their overlords, effectively. Unless they're able to find some other means of sustaining themselves, they might very well starve to death, or at the very least will struggle to feed themselves. Because again, their body, while it can consume anything, ether is basically the best thing for them to consume and to lose that. And they're trying to sustain themselves off of meat or anything they can gather. Is not the best thing for them. <laughs> okay, because that was going like they can survive. Question. Like earlier, you did mention that they were omnivores, so they can eat meat, plants, and stuff like we can. But it the the way we keep talking about this ether is like it seems like that's that's the main thing for them. Otherwise, if they don't have that, they die. Yeah, 
it, like I said, they they could they could survive without it, but with ether, their life becomes so much easier. Whereas the best way to can the best way I can imagine it is imagine imagine eating I don't know what's a food humans can eat, but they aren't really designed for it, but they are able to eat it. Alcohol. Okay. Alcohol. We'll say alcohol. You know, alcohol, you can consume it, but you end up getting sick. It would be similar to that in that, yeah, you can eat meat, but you aren't going to feel great. You're going to feel, for lack of a better word, gross. Because uh, there are instances of Fallen mentioning that if they eat anything other than ether, and wait, they do drink alcohol at some point, but they hate it. Yeah, there are actually some Fallen who actually get drunk, too. They drink alcohol, but they, they mention that they can consume anything. But unless it's ether, it doesn't make them feel good. That's why they strictly stick to ether. But they do have bars where they drink alcohol because, like humans, fallen are willing to get sick in order for in order to experience a buzz. Because fallen do get drunk. Lightweights. <laughs> the way we've kind of been talking about ether, like it, like you said, it wasn't like a biological thing that they developed. Like they must have been eating just food normally before. It's almost like it's like a drug that if they stop taking, they experience withdrawal that can kill them. I mean, that's what I've been thinking this that sounds... entire time, honestly. Well, for me, I've always viewed Ether as the Fallen's version of light. Because in Destiny, they mention that when the Traveler arrives on a planet, it projects light. And that this light is what makes humans live longer and all, go through all these amazing things. I've always viewed light as, or ether as light. It's just the fallen have a different relationship to light than humans do. In that humans cons, in that the fallen literally consume ether, whereas humans kind of just bathe in its radiance almost. Like that's been the only way I've been able to rationalize what ether is, aside from like a gas that happens to have like one hundred percent, like no waste, but. Yes, I do think Ether is one of the most interesting and one of the least well-explained versions of Fallen, because <laughs> I would like to know more about it. Besides, it just being a gas they consume, but aren't but don't necessarily depend on it. Oh, also to clarify, Fallen can get fat. <laughs> Good to know. So they got to be hitting that gym too. Yeah, there's one Fallen you meet in Destiny Two who is obese and he has to sit in a chair. Is his name Greasius? <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's it's pretty funny. He's he's pretty fat. He's fat, but you also see him playing he, using uh, ghosts. You know things that keep guardians alive as a Rubik's cube, and he's just fiddling with a dead ghost corpse as a Rubik's cube for fun. <laughs> but um, I, we've gone over their biology. We've gone over their their culture, their society. Let's go over their houses. <laughs> This is going to be the home stretch and the, you know, this is basically me going over the Space Marine Legions, and I will use Space Marine Legions as an example to kind of, you know, give you guys an idea of what these how what's how these houses kind of diversify in a way. Make sense? Okay. All right. So the first house and the house that you first meet in the Destiny universe, and the house that goes the hardest and does not need to go the hardest, is uh, the House of Devils. So, I am sending you a picture of the House of Devils. I sent a picture of all the houses' logos, but I'm just going to send you um, House Devils because I enjoy theirs. 
Judging by the so iconography there, it does kind of look like a horned, almost horned devil. Weird how a- it's weird how the aliens came to the same conclusion that the devil is a goat. Kind of looks <laughs> a bit goatish. <laughs> Man, right. They must have had goats on their planet too. <laughs> Did they fuck them? <laughs> I want to see them try. Oh my god. Okay. So um before I go over the devils, I wanted you guys to give me a brief guess. What do you guys think the devil's shtick is? Do you think these are the type of people who give food to children? Oh absolutely. I think they're as evil as possible. And uh <laughs> most likely you're about to explain why they're as evil as possible. <laughs> you are correct. I'm also pretty sure Exo passed out. Exo, you there? No, nope, he's asleep. Get the pointy stick. <laughs> Someone get some warp stone in here. Like I say, break a warp stone dust in front of uh, them. Smelling stones. <laughs> it worked. The what up, Exo? House of Devils. What are they? Yes. Are they nice? Are they nice, good puppies? No, they're bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're hunts. <laughs> that is one way to put it. <laughs> So I mentioned um, that I was going to be relating them to Space Marine Legions. House Devils is basically a mix of the World Eaters and a little bit of the Iron Warriors. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the Night Lords. Well, okay, okay. I mean, a, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, they do have skulls of humans on pikes all over their their layers. So, I mean, who doesn't though? That looks pretty cool. That whole story thing at the beginning, at the beginning when you're talking about like flayed skin and heads and skulls or whatnot, I'm like, mm, that's a regular Tuesday for a Night Lord. <laughs> well, the reason why I'll get to why they're like the world leaders is their method of warfare. But before anything, I should go over their history because House Devils, out of all the fallen houses, out of all the greatest houses that that made it to Seoul are the ones that fell the hardest and the furthest because they were originally known as House of Dancer and they were renowned for their artisans, uh, theatrical plays, and the beauty of their actors for the emotion they could convey. And they are one of the oldest and most peaceful of the houses. So, they became (laughs) different. <laughs> so they were the Harlequins originally. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> now, the thing is, though, is that when they arrived in Seoul, they replaced their uh, love for beauty and artistry and, you know, theatricalness for um, an almost cruel sadism because they basically witnessed the beauty of their empire collapse. And everything they worked so hard, all the peace, all the beauty, everything that they worked and strived to develop and cultivate was ruined in front of them. And this basically awoken, this basically led to them developing a more cruel and sadistic behavior. On top of the fact that I mentioned all the civil wars and the fact that they were basically in a fucking moving uh, Mexican standoff all the way to Earth. On top of all the things they've witnessed, they're not exactly like I think they handled it. They they have some of the most reason for why they're cruel, sadistic murderers. Um, and they are actually some of the most brutal and aggressive of the fallen. 
um, to the point that uh, when they attack human settlements, they will actually slaughter everyone within, and then they will torch the entire city and wait until the embers are not until the embers have stopped burning before they think it's okay to leave. Like they destroy everything. They will murder everything, and then when everything has been murdered, they will burn everything down and watch it all burn. <laughs> Some men just want to watch the world burn. They also take a sadistic pleasure in destroying monuments or icons of protection. So they will actively try to defile. So, for example, let's say you have a church, like an actual church. This church might be specifically and directly attacked by house devils, not because it's strategically valuable, but because of the damage to morale its destruction would do. Because of the symbolic damage that they would be doing over the actual damage. So kind of like how the Skaven will just like yeet and steal like the crown that you forge just to inconvenience you. Yes, except in this case, theirs is more just being sadistic instead of being dickheads. Yeah, what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> now, on top of that, they are also the most influential in quotation marks, and the most uh, powerful of the Fallen Houses in terms of scale and numbers, because they are actually the most numerous of the Fallen Houses. With this house specifically, House Devils alone being considered such a threat that they could take down the last city, which is the last bastion of humanity in this universe. And to add to that, they have actually laid siege to humanity and have besieged the last city for over a hundred years. Like, they literally had an event called the Hundred Year Siege. So would it be safe to assume that a lot of the Fallen that you fight, at least in the early part of Destiny, is from the House of Devils, or...? Yes, yes. Um, To the point that they are actually the only house to establish effectively dominance of earth like each house has their own like area of the system that they control but none of them have been able to establish a permanent layer on earth only the devils have been able to do that and again it should go to, it should go without saying that earth is where humanity should be strongest it literally has all of humans on it and has the guardians and even despite these two things you know humans and the guardians the fallen of house devils have still managed to basically dominate the planet by by having they being the only house to control earth they also have the most amount of layers. So, for example, layers are basically a nest. It's where the fallen um, is, where the Kel typically is. It's where the Servitor Primes and the Archon Primes typically are. It's basically their center of command, and they have the most amount of layers. And the um, and their main layer being again on Earth, being actually in the Cosmodrome of Russia. Yes. Um. Oh, I should also mention. Hey guys, ask me where London is in Destiny Universe. Hey Ray, where's London? So, London doesn't exist anymore. It is now a pile of rubble and ash because the Fallen burned oh, it down. Um, and as to be expected, they also slaughtered everyone in the city. <laughs> as they deserve to be. Oh. <laughs> no more GW. No more 40k. Darn it. It's okay. They also killed Mark because they burned down Panama. <laughs> 
Oh, oh fuck. No. <laughs> there was literally a city on the Panama Canal, and they burned it down. No more 40. Okay. <laughs> there can only be one grim dark future. All right. So, any questions and opinions about um, House Devils? <laughs> they sound like a bunch of swell guys. Yeah. Stand up guys, those, those devils. They're also the first um, house to you fight in Destiny 1. And I mean, when Joe plays it, he can discover what happens to those devils. <laughs> I, mean, I specifically I specific remember from the first, from like the early part. Like, so yeah, I think those, so those, those are the guys that I, I do fight. Okay. Yeah. So the next house we'll talk about is the House of Wolves. A DLC name, but um, <laughs> now the House of Wolves actually earned their name for their uh, control over the Jovian moons and the asteroid belt. And the reason why is because they actually circle uh, the system, traveling through the asteroid belt and the Jovian moons like wolves circling their prey. So what you're saying is they're the actual space wolves. In a way, yes. What Except they're also kind of like, well, hang on, they're also kind of like the Space Wolves, but they're also kind of like the Iron Hands. Because originally, before they were called the House of Wolves, they were called the House of Weavers. And the Archons of the Weavers were known as the Gentle Weavers. Because they were said to be so precise and so um, masterful with the craft of artifice that it was beyond, it was basically beyond extraordinary and beyond beautiful the things that they could create now it, this was more basically the amount and the skill at which they would create like the consistency of things that they would that they would produce related to their hmm. skill now because of their because of their history with being artificers as well as the fact that they patrol the jovian moons in the asteroid belt they kind of necessitate having a lot of ships because of this, they actually have the largest fleet out of all the Fallen Houses. But what's super funny is that despite having the largest fleet, they actually don't have enough Fallen to properly crew all of these ships. <laughs> so, because of this, a lot of these ships are running at like two-thirds capacity. But in their mind, it's better to have more ships in the air than less because they, they kind of need to maintain as many ships as possible. But the issue, though, is that because of how many ships they have and because of how much almost independence a lot of the captains and barons of this house are given, a lot of them will actually break away and become what are called would-be Kells, which are basically like wannabe Kells, like basically barons or captains who try to start their own house. And they don't usually last very long. <laughs> um, The next house is one of my favorites. Because they have a cool logo and color scheme. These are my boys. The House of Winters. So the House of Winters. Are greedy motherfuckers. They are actually the wealthiest. Of all the great houses. Of fallen society. And it's implied that during their golden age. They were considered the merchant kings. That they were masters of trade. And diplomacy and other sorts of things like that. That they would basically. Make their wealth off of trade. And, ex and export. 
This kind of reflects them in the present day because their wealth comes in many forms, but predominantly in the quality of their equipment, most of which is stolen, and the massive wealth of their spoils and the trophies they've stolen from rival houses. Now, this greed has also led to the House of Winter engaging in rapid hit-and-run raids on any and all uh, forces in the system. Doesn't matter who they are or what faction they align to. They will do hit-and-run raids in an attempt to both gauge the strength of their enemy, test their own equipment against the enemy, and get out with whatever they can. So I mentioned before the house that likes to innovate. This is that one. They will attack other houses or other houses or other uh, forces in the system and basically get away with whatever they can and begin reverse engineering the stuff from that to improve their own weaponry or improve their armor against your weapons. Because of this, a lot of their house actually uses energy shields. So energy shields, very similar to 40 care things that protect you. Um, it's typically reserved for the higher ranking officers. This house has a more has a higher abundance of those shields compared to everyone else. I should also mention Emir e- oh. conglomerate vibes from Leagues of Botan, but this came out before the Leagues of Botan became a faction. Yep, I should also mention that this uh, wealth that this wealth that the house has has actually been used to turn fleets or simple uh, disenchanted captains to the house's side. So, for example, House Winters and House of Wolves have a long rivalry because it's very common for House Winters to poach upstart captains and barons from House of Wolves to add to their ranks. Like giving me like a Carthage vibe. Like they're just paying <laughs> people to come in. Yeah, they also will pay off um, other houses' forces to like leave them alone. Like, let's say the House of Winters wants to find an artifact. Like, they're they're trying to, like, steal from humanity. And let's say the House of Devils shows up. House of Winters might give them weapons and be like, hey, fuck off, let us deal with the humans. Or help us fight the humans and fuck off. And it's very common that this will work because it's like, yeah, fuck yeah, give us loot and we'll help you. So not only do they have other houses as mercenaries... But they will actually loan themselves out as mercenaries, not just to other houses, but actually to other factions in the system. So to go back to the Game of Thrones references, they're kind of also like the Iron Bank. Yeah. So there are instances where humans have actually bought mercenary fleets from a House of Winter. And on one case, Cade has actually bought a fallen assassin to join him in a mission. So... They are the most xenophile of the fallen houses. If you want to give them that, oh, see what you're saying is I got to be hitting them up on Tinder. <laughs> I mean, their colors aren't bad. What is it with you, Lizardmen? Oh. <laughs> it's the genderless man. We can just do whatever we want. Or yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> we can make up our own rules. And All right. One is now for the rules. <laughs> it's time for my fucking favorite house. These are my. This is my favorite house. Oh, I also forgot to mention. Oh no, I did. I don't know. What would you guys say the House of Winter is? The only one I couldn't come up with as a decent example. <laughs> kind of the hardest to come with one because, like, there's not like a trading mercenary, a diplomatic legion. Yeah. Mm, I'm like. I guess, like, maybe Ultramarines? I don't know. We'll say Ultramarines. 
Yeah. I would say, well, I would say Ultramarines, but I'd also say a mix of Dark Angels because of the technology they have access to. True, true. Or maybe the Salamanders instead of the Dark Angels because they actually can modify their technology. And the house coming up is a bit more Dark Angels y. But to make a long tangent short, we're going to be talking about the best house, the objectively best house, no bias, the house of kings. <laughs> well, with a name like that. Now, the reason why I mentioned they're kind of like the Dark Angels is because the House of Kings is what you get if you combine the Dark Angels and the Alpha Legion. <laughs> oh, go on. So, the House of Kings, I want to read exactly from my script because I wrote it really well and I'm proud of myself. <laughs> he wrote the thing. Yep. So, the House of Kings are believed to be the smallest of the four remaining great houses. One of the greatest and definitely one of the most powerful. The House of Kings is now a shadow of its former self, with no known layers on any world within the system, and a very small military presence, as very rarely are fallen of the House of Kings seen engaging in open combat, except for in the most desperate times or most important engagements. To add insult to the majesty of, the, of such a house, it is rumored that the Kell of Kings was killed, and now no one leads this house. All of this is in reality a lie. The House of Kings, very much like the the Dark Angels combined with the Alpha, is very much like the Dark Angels combined with the Alpha Legion. So, what I mean is that prior to the Whirlwind, during the Second Golden Age, the House the House of Kings was one of, if not the most powerful house in all of the Fallen Empire. Again, them combined with House of Judgment literally united everyone together. So, that should really speak to how powerful. And how much weight this house kind of carries with it. And the thing is, though, is that during the whirlwind, all of the houses suffered terrible casualties. But the thing is that of all the houses, the House of Kings seems to have suffered the worst. Like they suffered the worst out of all the houses in terms of the amount of casualties they suffered. So to give an example, imagine if um, there was a disaster, like let's say a meteor hit Earth. And suddenly, every single every single country had its military cut in half. It was cut down to fifty percent. Well, that's pretty disastrous. But in this case, the House of Kings, we'll say in this example, is the USA, is the United States. Well, imagine if while every single country got its force cut in half, everyone looked to the U.S. and saw that they didn't have their force cut in half. Their their force was cut down to like ten percent, which is a lot. But it's also almost too much. Do you know what I mean? Like they're hiding their numbers? Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm seeing the Alpha Legion comparison. Now, to take that into account, take all that into example, what raises even more suspicion is that you would imagine a house that's had its force cut down to 10%. In, to use this example, let's say everyone got cut in half and they were down to 10%. That's still a fifth of your power. There would be the there would be a fifth of your power. Any house could take this house. And yet despite that, over the period of time that the fallen have been within the soul system, no house has been able to adequately or successfully defeat and absorb the House of Kings. Once again, they are very rarely seen on battlefields because they are only ever seen in the most desperate of engagements where victory is at its highest and most desperate. To make things even more interesting, I mentioned this before, they are the only house to not have dregs or wretches, another form of exiles or lower class uh, fallen in their ranks. They do have some, like they do have some, not saying they have none, 
but the amount is so low compared to every other house that it raises even more curiosity because it implies that they have a steady and um, proper amount of ether. Which, again, doesn't make sense because you would imagine a house without its leader that has no layer and no and its size has been completely diminished. It should not be able to maintain a steady ether ration or uh, dispersion. If anything, this house should be fracturing apart like instantly one after another. Maybe now, dwarven this... senses or the smell of Exo's musk of warpstone, but I smell sus. Indeed. To add to that, um, there are actually rumors among um, there are actually rumors among all the fallen that there are actually that the House of Kings is actually much larger than um, people believe it is, and that there are actually members of of the House of Kings scattered among and hidden among all of the houses at every rank at every sing hidden at every single rank of every single house and yeah. that's either directly and that's either through and that they're actually subtly guiding and manipulating these houses either directly influencing them through propaganda or assassination or indirectly just having just ensuring that a house succeeds in a particular engagement now, that's a now the interesting right there yeah, but here's the thing, though. There are also rumors within those rumors that the rumors of potential uh, House of Kings um, supporters hidden among the houses are actually believed to originate from House of King agents. So it's almost so it's almost like they're tattling on themselves, like the people who started the rumor of House of Kings agents within the houses were started by House of King agents. <laughs> well, it's kind of like that. Um, it's kind of like that story about the badass soldier or whatnot. Uh, you hear about in the battlefield, where the rumors were started by him, who who says he heard it from some guy, who who he heard it from some guy, who he who he heard it from some guy. Yeah. Yes. Now, you guys ready for the biggest twist of the House of Kings? Twist me. Shit, that came out wrong. They're not only, <laughs> not only is their Kel alive, but they actually have three Kells leading their house. Oh, so they just had to one up the Alpha Legion. It was it was considered the ultimate uh, counterplay. Like you would think, the House of Kings would have a single king leading them because royalty. But no, the best way to to screw over people who think they have one leader is to have more than one leader, which is why they're called the House of Kings and not the House of King. So that's why the Alpha Legion Hydra has three heads. <laughs> they're actually falling from destiny. So. There's also there's also a very fun relation to the next house coming in because there was a theory that was never confirmed but was implied and they did nothing with that I'm gonna bring up because I need to bring it up because it, it was really awesome and I feel sad they left it out. <laughs> so this takes us to House Exile. So I brought them up um, and I'll go over them again. Uh, house Exile is the newest house. And it's actually the second largest house formed, which seems counterintuitive given you imagine a new house would be very small. So the House of Exile was basically formed by the first invasions of the Fallen to Soul. Basically, each of the houses would send out their forces to invade the system. 
And initially during these first engagements, they would win some, but they would suffer defeats. And as their fleets would suffer defeats, they would actually be scattered and kind of, you know, lost adrift in the system, unable to properly return. And this actually left a lot of houses or a lot of fleets from different houses kind of lost in the drift of space. And a lot of them actually began to find each other and actually began to group up and actually began to depend on each other. Because while their houses may have been at a war, they had no one else to turn to except each other to depend on each other. And because of how close knit and how small these were in terms of communities, as well as the fact that they only ever had maybe one captain or one baron, they had almost no influence from the higher-ups of the Kells, of the Archon Primes, of anything higher than captain level. And eventually this community of effectively survivors began to attract attention among all the among all of the um, houses. The house exile became a refuge for the unwanted, for the un, uninitiated, for those who were unwanted by other houses. And so many house, uh, many dregs of the other houses actually began to abandon their original house to flee to house exile. And because of this, house exile actually has the highest amount of dregs per house. The house is almost entirely made out of dregs. And on top of that, the leadership structure is not led by a Kel, but instead a council of barons. They want to, and they style themselves as a kingdom without a king or a house without a Kel. So they are an alliance, they are a loose alliance of barons and captains who want to build their little, basically shanty house into something more than that and make it into an escape for exi- for the unwanted and the exiles. So it's kind of like the now, banished, it's kind of like the banished from Halo then. Yeah. Like I know, I know we didn't actually now, completely go over the banished uh, in the, in the Halo episode, but it's like basically those who were disaffected by the covenant all kind of banded together to make the banished. So yes. Now, I'm going to go over the theory fast, because the reason why I mentioned House Kings and House Exile are kind of related. You meant, you might have noticed how I mentioned that this is a house that has no dregs in it. And House Exile is a house made almost entirely out of dregs. So, how the theory goes is that House Exile was actually a front for House of Kings. That it was basically the dregs and the basically bottom half of House Kings... Um, like pyramid that basically was broken off as in quotation marks to basically grow and weaken the other houses and grow itself while also secretly working for house of Kings. Now that's interesting. I like the theory, but I'm just gonna let you guys know it went nowhere. So <laughs> darn it, Bungie. but yeah, but regardless, what are you guys' thoughts on that theory in general? They were this close to greatness. And then it did nothing with it. <laughs> I found it to be a fun twist of a theory. Shark? It's a, it's an idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, but what, what does House Exile get out of it? If they're all dregs? Like... Um, the, the idea, it, it was basically, it was basically jokingly referred to as the communist uh, fallen. Because they, they were, 
that was basically all it was. It was like they're the communists, they're communist exile, they're com- they're communists fallen, and then it was like, well, how they relate to House Kings, and then there was a whole bit about House Kings wanting to lead the fallen into a new into a new golden age, because um, there are there are basically lore cards you can find in game that basically are from how they're ba- it it's basically the equivalent to finding a note from in Skyrim of someone being told to kill you. Except in this case, it's I am a, this is a letter from house of Kings in that was found on a house of devil's guy. And the idea is to kill a captain and take his place. And the idea is like, Oh, house of Kings have been suddenly trying to basically pull a uh, dune and suddenly slowly manipulate all the houses over time to basically one peaceful future. And House of Exile is their way to do it, but at the end of the day, they they drop the ball <laughs> on House Exile. Well, I mean, I guess the com- communist comparison is a little accurate because they're all starving to death with no ether. <laughs> they do actually have servitors, but they are stolen servitors. I mean, it's it's a theory, right? Like, it's all just a game, yeah. theory. game theory. Oh no. <laughs> Now for the second best house, House of Judgment, led by Varex the Loyal. A house of one man. A house of one. House Judgment. One like maybe a kind of cool one. It's not my favorite house design. But I mentioned them pretty pretty understandable there. They were basically trying to be the ambassadors and the peacekeepers of the Fallen Empire, only to get slaughtered. Um, Varix is the last one, and like I said, he's currently, well, he's being, he was being held hostage by the House of Wolves to basically be used as a propaganda piece, but he, his dream is actually to basically fulfill an ancient prophecy. <laughs> so, Varix, as a member of House Judgment, as one of these old houses, has a bunch of history, and the history has this ancient prophecy called... The Kell of Kells, which is basically supposed to be a Kell uh, among all the houses who will rise up to unite all the houses and bring them into one new glorious age. And it was believed that Chelchus was the first Kell of Kells, but he was not the last. And that he was just the, he was basically the last in a line of basically chosen ones. And basically, Varix's goal is to basically become the Kell of Kells, either to become him or to find and support him in his journey to unite the fallen and bring them back to glory. I'm getting a lot so of like Genghis Khan. I was going to say like second coming revelation type vibes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like a Jesus. Th- I was about to say Jesus, but like, it, like Khan or cause Genghis is the Khan of Khans. And if there's like multiple of them, it's like a success. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's basically Varix's last little bit of hope that he has. Like he in some there's some instances where he admits that he doesn't actually believe the Kale of Kells is real and that's just a story. But it's a story he wants to believe, and if it isn't real, he wants to make it real. And I think that kind of speaks to almost a trauma he has that he's like I don't care if it's a children's story. I will make this children's story happen because I just want a happy ending for my race. Well, I mean, it's also a happy ending from him because he goes from a prisoner to 
I'm leading the entire race now, guys. Well, I should also mention Varix isn't exactly an innocent person. He's a little manipulative because he actually has someone steal what's called a um, what's it called an archon an archon glyph. I think that's what it's called. But it's basically something archons in training they begin as they begin as scribes. So that's besides the point. Um, it's basically a device that they develop and build over time. And it basically allows them to link to servitors and draw ether from them. It's basically like a badge of honor as well as like an access key code. And Varric gets his hands on them. But the issue is that in order to get one, you need to basically have fallen DNA stored into it to basically like recognize it. And Varric basically gives it to a guardian because he's kind of friends with the guardians and says, hey, can you go hunt a bunch of fallen for me? To basically until this meter fills up, um, just wipe out all the dregs and all the bad guy and all the bad parts of my civilization. Just basically go on a crusade and kill all the uh, all of the other houses for me until this meter fills up. And I think like canonically you have to kill like two hundred fallen or something. So you're killing a good amount of them. <laughs> and then once this key card's full, you actually bring it back to him, and it gives him access to uh, the servitors for basically for free. <laughs> So basically, whatever the cost, even if it's my own people, go get them. Yeah. Well, you also have to understand Varix views the fallen, similar to how Shark described it, most of them are bad. And it's these bad ones that are, it's almost like if you are one of the bad ones, it's okay if you die. So kind of like how the Imperium is towards heretics. Yep. To add to that, Varix also um, recreated a ritual called the Prison of Elders, which was basically a trial by combat um, that the Fallen had a very... It was basically a very ancient ritual held by the Fallen that Varix brought back to try and reinstill some level of nobility in the Fallen. Yet even more Game of Thrones references. Except it's a uh, trial of combat where you fight your judge, jury, and executioner. So yeah, just like Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Big fan, big fan of it. I like the Prison of Elders. I, I think is it. I think that is how trial of combat originally was fought too. Is you fought the judge, jury, and executioners. That's cool. Because I know that you're supposed to fight. I know that when you bring someone to the prison of elders, you end up going to fight them. But I don't think it's actually your judge during execution. I think it's like meant to be like you as a player are supposed to symbolize both the executioner because you go in there to kill them, the judge because you capture them. But then I think it's something else, or I think it's I think you are also jury because you judge them of their sins. But regardless, it's basically meant to be you. You go in there to fight them because you meet all three of these criterias. I see. So kind of like a yes. Judge Dredd, pretty, pretty much. Yes. Now, those are the fallen houses that you meet, encounter, and interact with in Destiny 1. I will say this now, most of them do not make it into Destiny 2. <laughs> Uh-oh. Some of it is um, good writing, and some of it is not great writing. I'm going to guess it's... Agree. I'm going to guess this to do with a rebranding for that money. Yeah, a little bit. It also led to the end of a lot of really cool stories that they were setting up. <laughs> it's, like, but, it's like it's like why the 
all the legions change their colors after the Horus Heresy. It's so you have to rebuy models again. <laughs> because at the end of the day, case, the, real, the real darkness was the almighty dollar this whole time. In this case, though, it was so they didn't have to make different colored, uh, different colored cloaks for every single planet. They just had to use one color, uh, one color set for the fallen, and they were good. <laughs> Regardless, though, I think I'll cover the last two big events before it brings us to present day fallen. So I'll cover those two events briefly enough. This episode's gonna be kind of long if it wasn't obvious enough. I don't know how how awake everyone is. <laughs> Hanging in there. I got warp stone in this cup, so I'm good. I am barely in it, but I'm good. Keep going. I was gonna say, I think you just you snorted all the warp stone we had left. So, <laughs> all right. So we're gonna be talking about the Battle of Six Fronts and eventually the Battle of Twilight Gap. But first, this also this also uh, Twilight Gap also leads into uh, the House of Kings bit and why they're super cool. But I'll get to them in a second. Um, <laughs> so beginning with the how do I put this? The big event that was the Battle of Six Fronts. So before I explain it, I will actually show you a picture of the Six Fronts. Where is it? Right here. You've got mail. So what I sent you right now is a butt napkin for the Titans. Um, it's basically meant to be there. It's basically meant to be like a, a battle trophy. But on it, you will notice a shape. It's a hexagon that's broken up into four quadrants. And this symbol is actually the symbol of the Titan Orders, of the Titan class specifically. It's meant to be like their unifying logo. Now you might wonder, why is the uniting logo for the Titans a battle? Like, why is it, why is it based off of a battle? And what does that have to do with the Fallen? Well, it has to do specifically... With our lovely boys, the House of Devils, the absolute fucking worst. So, oh, I should also mention, uh, the House of Devils likes to um, make sure that when they transplant their body with machines, they make it as painful as possible. As a, as a way to show both their devotion and their willingness to endure pain for victory. So they're, oh, like, so... The, they're like the World Eaters, Night Lords, and Drukhari. They are the worst. <laughs> Emperor's so, looking boy. <laughs> yeah. Now, like like I said, you might notice I mentioned the Battle of Twilight Gap, or not Twilight Gap, the Battle of Six Fronts, and the Hundred Year Siege that the House of Devils did. This is that Hundred Year Siege. So, during the... Basically, as the Fallen grew in power, um, the last city was not a city. <laughs> It was at best a small village that had very sparsely protected walls. And this city was regularly attacked by the Fallen, specifically the House of Devils, who would try to kill all humans and take the Traveler back. But naturally, they were always, they were always pushed back. This is actually where the siege begins. Because for the next hundred years, the Devils would continuously assault the city and the Guardians would, would desperately repel the Fallen. And every single time they would push the Fallen back, wherever they were able to push Fallen back to, they would build a wall. 
So they would put, it was basically you're pushing the flood back, building a wall, running back. If the if that wall breaks down, you push the you push the wave back, you build another wall. You just, they just kept doing this back and forth. It was literally a perpetual siege, and it was not a great time for humanity, <laughs> naturally. And as a result of this actual siege of the last city, it actually led to the fallen um, everywhere basically growing. Because since the city was was besieged, guardians and human forces could not leave to actually fight on other battlefields across the system. And this meant that the fallen were able to take root on other systems, like other houses could take root. But also basically gave house devils free reign to ransack communities all across the planet. Like the one in Panama, like the all the different cities across the planet that were being assaulted. I think one is Panama... There's one in New York. I think New York actually gets nuked. Europe just gets fucking ran through by the fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, for a hundred years, things were not great. <laughs> um, but this battle actually ended up culminating in the Battle of Six Fronts, where the full army of House of Devils, which was several millions of fallen, the entire house effectively started to attack from uh, four different angles, which is why it's broken up into six, into, into four quadrants. Basically, the Guardian, the Guardian Titans basically had to hold these four quadrants of the six fronts. That's why it's divided the way it is. And for the entirety of this battle, none of those four quadrants fell. They held their ground the entire time, built their walls, built everything they could, and just fought and died wave after wave after wave against the Fallen. And I should mention that a lot of Guardians actually lost their life permanently as a result of this battle. because mm, That's a pretty bad blow there. Yeah, because there's actually a number of ways you can kill a ghost aside from destroying them. One such way is exhausting them. Because something I love about Destiny is... Well, something I love and hate is they try to make everything almost canon in a way. Like, they have Crucible, like the PvP match, and every single, like, mode of gameplay is meant to be, like, canonically something a Guardian should be training for. Like, control, you know, hold the point. That's meant to be reclaiming territory. But one of my favorite ones is survival. And what survival opens with is, your ghost has limited power. Spare your life. And basically the simple thing is, your ghost has a limited number of revives. And every time you die, your ghost expends some of this stored energy to revive you. And, there, and basically what this is saying is that there's only a certain number of times you can die repeatedly before your ghost takes longer and longer and longer to revive you until eventually your ghost becomes so burnt out it cannot revive you because you've been killed so many times over. So it's kind of like the homunculus from Full Metal Alchemist. Like, y- y- eventually you can burn out their regenerative healing. Yeah. How long are you prepared to keep... Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I made an anime reference. I watched some anime. I have to <laughs> Now, <laughs> I mean, so, you know, the Fallen are not great. Well... I mean, they're, they're pretty awesome, but House Devils isn't great. <laughs> but I should worst. mention that... Yeah. I should mention that this battle did end with a victory with House with House Devils having to retreat eventually because they just couldn't keep up the protracted siege. 
and humanity started to actually start pushing them back. Mostly because they had one guy called uh, Saint-14, who is very similar to Doomslayer and Pelnil Whitestrike, one strike, in that he is very racist <laughs> towards non-humans. <laughs> <laughs> to, to uh, I believe this is, I believe, is this before or after Six Fronts? I believe it is before... But yeah, all you need to know is the Guardians played a huge part in protecting the city and they were lorded for it to the point that they got a medal and a logo after it. Although despite this victory against House of Devils, they were still the top dog in the, in the system. <laughs> because even though they even though they had their full army effectively sieging the last city, and even though they were pushed back, they were still the most powerful, which would say, which would say a lot to how much strength and numbers they have behind them. This is making me think to like the whole Imperial Fist versus like Iron Warriors, and then that one cartoon I actually just saw earlier today, where it's like <laughs> the Fist and the Iron Warriors are going back and forth. It's like you need a pacifier, Iron Baby, going home to your demon chick lady. Oh, <laughs> uh, I should. I honestly need to say this before I forget, though. Um, basically, during these early years, this is where some of the greatest Guardians showed up, including. Rezalazir. I need to mention him because he's fucking awesome. Rezalazir was basically... How do you put him? He was basically the chosen one before your player wakes up. Like, you know how in RPGs is always like this long period of null where, there, where no one's able to do anything. It's a constant stalemate. And then one day a random guy shows up and he ends all stalemates and he gives us the happy ending. Like, you know how video games like, do that and it kind like of is annoying? Every RPG <laughs> ever, pretty much. Yeah, basically, Rezalazir was basically the player character before the player character showed up. Because he, along with Saint-14 and a bunch of other legendary figures, including Lord Saladin, the motherfucking best Iron Warrior, or rather Iron Lord, um, Zavala and Shax were all present and all proved their parts. But Rezalazir was said to be basically the hero of this battle that he earned such, he was basically the, the greatest hero of all time. And following this, he actually took the battle to the fallen, which is impressive, but, um, he ended up disappearing. So (laughs) on a different mission. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically the fall, basically the fallen, uh, started retreating and, uh, Saint 14 was going to chase them, but he chose against it. Because he chose to remain alongside humanity, Rezalazir believed that because he was such a skill warrior and proved to be such a great hero, that he should be the one to lead the charge. And ended up basically going on a campaign where he fought the Fallen and ended up basically chasing them. But then he ended up disappearing. He was only he was last seen on the moon, um, like years later. And then again after that event on the moon, he disappeared. But he's he's basically meant to be like the four. He's basically meant to be like. To use a Game of Thrones example, he was meant to be like the Arthur Dane, the like legendary hero from the past that disappeared. But regardless, um, that's basically the Battle of Six Fronts. It's a bit, really important battle, but it mostly just ends with the Fallen losing. What follows that, though, what follows the Battle of Six Fronts and happens sometime later is a Battle of Twilight Gap. And this is basically... How would I put this? I want to put this as, like, the fall of Reach moment, but, like, I also don't. Because, like, 
It's probably as fucking deadly as the fall of Reach, but it's probably but it doesn't have the same weight of yeah, we just fucking lost as the weight of, as the fall of Reach. So to best example, to best go over what the uh what the uh battle of well like gap is it proves that um goth elf mom elf mommies are the win and that we should be thankful to them i'm i'm thankful they exist i'm a little lost, exactly okay so this will get relevant fast so hey shark remember how you kind of like the house of kings and you're kind of agreeing with me that they are kind of in control of a lot of things yes so, House of Kings started to announce that they were planning something, and the first house to join them was House Exiles. And one by one, each of the great houses started to basically join up with House Kings to basically plan something. So, again, this hints to House Kings having influence everywhere because they are the ones who basically call everyone to them. And they were basically going to put their differences aside for the first time in hundreds of years to take the last city. And that the Kel of House Kings, the one Kel as far as everyone was, was aware of, who was believed to have been killed, showed up and made his presence known and told everyone that they were going to take the last city, that the combined force of every single fallen house could not, stop, couldn't, could not be stopped. Here's a spoiler. They were fucking right. Say what? I'm getting like, like a, a Siege of Rocks thing where yeah. you deliver everyone in. <laughs> yeah. So, as all, the, as all the houses get together, they basically are making preparations for this battle, for this major invasion of Earth. How this begins is with all of the fleets slowly starting to gather around, I believe it's the Jovian Moons, before they can like consolidate their forces and travel to Earth. Now the thing is that because of how big um, and how spread out the House of Wolves were, they would have to take the longest to consolidate their forces. The issue was that because of how long this would take, they could not risk taking too long for humanity to realize, oh, they're amassing something, we gotta prepare. So because of this, the military force was effectively forced to attack a little preemptively, like, they still took some wolves with them, but the majority of the fleet was still consolidating and it would basically come as a second wave, as reinforcements. Now, while this host of effectively three fawn houses, House Winter, House Kings, and House Devils, were making their way towards Earth, and House Exiles, sorry, I forgot them, but they're, they're not really a main house. While these four houses are, make, are basically barreling towards Earth with some wolf support, the rest of House Wolf of the House of Wolves was still in the Jovian Moons in the Asteroid Belt. Now what they were not aware of, and I should mention, no one else was aware of, the Asteroid Belt is actually the domain of the Awoken, the Space Elves of Destiny. And that, by fl- and that in reality, the House of Wolves had actually been unknowingly within their territory the entire time. And the head of the house, the head of the Awoken, of the Space Elves, was Queen Marasov, the Awoken Queen. Now, she has a bunch of art about her. Oh, yeah. 
I will send a picture, and you guys can, just based on the picture, assume why there's a lot of art based on her. I uh, Trust me, I got... Hot. Yeah, I got to that scene in Destiny 1, and I can assure you my Google history is uh, <laughs> need needed to be purged after that. There's only a few women in video gaming history that have made me feel something. Mara Sov and Halo 4 Cortana. Mm. Meanwhile, I'm just sitting here in the corner clutching my Viola medallion, just rubbing it gently. What I can say is she can step on me for sure. <laughs> I guess so, that would be Captain Phasma. Oh my god. So... Uh, Queen Mara Saab of the Awoken, she's seen the fleet that was amassing basically outside and within her borders and saw them leaving. And she actually called a council of her brother and a bunch of their most loyal operatives and most loyal supporters. And she asks, what should we do about our inv- about these invaders, these unwelcome intruders into our land? And every single one of them says, let them go, let them be. Because the thing about the Awoken is very much like wood elves. They are very distant, and they don't want to get involved. They want to stay out of things and maintain their own isolation. But Mara, she looks at them, and she realizes that if this attack on Earth succeeds, Earth will fall to the, to the fallen. It will be taken over. And while maybe that doesn't really matter for the Awoken overall, because they're isolationists to the insane degree, she does feel a sort of, um, how do I put it, loyalty to Earth. And views it as her home because I'll get to the Awoken whenever we get to the Awoken. But what you should know is the Awoken used to be human until they were transformed into space elves. Regardless, she views some connection to Earth and actually does not want to see humanity wiped out. And so against the against the will of everyone in her room of her council, except for her brother, who remained silent, who chose not to get involved in the argument, she commands a full-scale attack on the wolf fleet that was currently rallying within and without her borders. And like and like the wolves that they themselves are named after, the House of Wolves was hunted and slaughtered by the Awoken army. <laughs> if I remember correctly, isn't she protected by the survivors of this? Yeah. When you meet her? Yeah. Like, she subjugates the House of Wolves. Yes. She subjugates the House of Wolves because she kills... No, she doesn't kill their Kel. She beats their Kel. And I believe in a show of mercy, both to, like, kind of appease the Fallen and to show her dominance, she actually imprisons their Kel. Not even giving him the... How do I put it? The honor of death. And choosing instead to keep him as a prisoner and by extension a trophy. She also didn't dock him because I bet he would have liked that just as much as I would have. <laughs> but you only have two arms. Oh well, that don't matter. She can do. She can dock with the third. Why are you the way that you are? Oh no, <laughs> my grungy. Yeah, I should. Like I said, if you beat the Kel, the house gets subjugated to you. And I need to, again, need to reference this. If she did not engage, Earth would have fallen. (laughs) Like, everyone is aware of that, especially her. She is well aware that Earth and humanity owe their survival to her. Because here's the thing, the Battle Twilight Gap, 
humanity wins by the skin of its teeth. By the fucking skin of its teeth. And if another house, especially the House of Wolves, was present, humanity wouldn't have won. Humanity would have rolled over and died. So to put this back in Halo terms, because I'm feeling a little dirty with all the Dommy Mommy elf speak, uh, (laughs) humanity being on its last handhold was the basically had their blessing with the elites leaving the covenant essentially and then the flood of course a great schism the great schism this guy gets it mm. i found yeah, one more picture of our work of her and i'm going to show this one don't, don't you don't you worry Harold. when we get to halo we'll we'll have plenty of discussion about some of the women there good good i'm also, I'm also <laughs> I'm also going to share this one because there's room on that chair for two. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh shit. When'd you get a new chair? Well, <laughs> is, is it weird that the first thing my eyes gravitated towards were the feet? Oh, no. 100% <laughs> same. <laughs> well, mine was the legs. Mine was the legs, but look, she's wearing all white except for her fucking thigh highs. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid fucking space elf. I have nothing to say. (laughs) Regardless, back to uh, (laughs) dummy mommy elder uh, elf queen who saved who saved humanity. Um, The battle twilight gap was. I I wanted to use Reach as an example because I know Reach is a fucking brutal battle, and the battle twilight gap was very much that. Because again, humanity won by the skin of their teeth. To the point, and I should mention that the most, like I mentioned, that you can kill a ghost by shooting them, and I've mentioned how you can exhaust the ghost if you kill a guardian too many times. The most, fit, the most common way guardians were dying during the Battle of Twilight Gap was through exhaustion. Like, rather than trying to kill the ghost, it made more sense just to kill a guardian, wait for it to come back, kill it again, and just repeat this process until the ghost got too weak that it could either not defend itself and you could shoot it at the sky, or the ghost just died because it kept over-reviving you. <laughs> and it and that just screams like Imperial Guard to me. Like, they just keep coming, but in this case, it would be the human, the guardians continuously reviving themselves. It's like tack insert from Call of Duty. He's just respawning <laughs> on it constantly. So that's how it was. And I should mention this battle was, I should also really add that this battle to like yep, came right after humanity. No. Okay. What, what the guardians had before twilight gap was their fall of reach because basically humanity was riding high and then they fucked up and then the fallen came to kick them in the teeth. So, <laughs> <laughs> But regardless, um, humanity was struggling at this point to hold off against the Fallen. Um, And if it wasn't for very, very, like, I need to preface this. Like, six Guardians changed this battle. (laughs) Like, that would be equivalent to, like, a fire team of people saved the city. Because they, the, this entire war was going on for so long and they were besieging the city so extensively that... The Guardians were basically fighting and dying over and over again, and it came to the point that Saladin, Saladin Forge, who would basically be the leader of all the Guardians at this point, just because of experience, declared a retreat. Because he realized they could not hold against the Fallen, that at one point one of the walls, one of the six walls, would break. And they should retreat, 
and fall back to a more defensible position. The thing is, though, is at the moment he offered that solution, one of the walls broke. And it was at that moment that he realized, oh, we have to leave now. Just fucking get back. Everyone who can get back to the center of the city, do it. If you can't make it, sorry. Like, if you're, if you're on that wall, sorry, you're fucking dead. Like, I, we cannot help. We have to basically just let you die and use you to hold off the fallen while we try to regroup somewhere else. Now, pragmatic, yes. Sad, very much so, but I don't blame Salin for his opinion. However, while Saladin was willing to throw away lives, there was one guardian, one sick motherfucker who would not be willing to throw lives away. And that man, that glorious, beautiful man, was Lord Shax. Shax, baby! <laughs> I, like his, I like his outfit. He got and he drill. is a funny robot that looks like it. He's also killed the dragon, and he holds, and he has a skull over his resting place. Force fucking. Here's some more art of him. Forge. The armor forge. He got that drip. Yeah, he's fucking cool. Alright, so. I'll stop looking at pictures of Lord Shax and all his beauty. Um, Shax. Seeing seeing that Saladin, who I should mention is actually his mentor and adoptive father in quotation marks. Um, it's very similar to how Andal Brask adopted Cade. Like, you're basically like their friend and mentor. And he sees Saladin, he basically says that what Saladin has decided is like barbaric. And it's like, no, I'm not gonna let you sacrifice lives and abandon this fort in order to secure a better opportunity. So and and it's Shaxx against Saladin's orders, refuses him, and in, in direct opposition to everyone. Like this is basically calling out your commander in front of everyone and calling him an idiot and Shaq saying that he will hold the line, that even if he's by himself, he will not let a fallen the fallen enter the city until he is dead. And with his act of devotion, five other guardians all rose up and actually joined Shaxx in defending the breach in the wall, the Twilight Gap. And so Shax, alongside five other guardians, fought and died over and over and over again, trying to keep this pass that was basically this massive, like, basically this, ro- this highway-sized hole in a massive wall, and try to keep all of the fallen from entering that wall. And it was just six of them. So it's kind of like the six members of yeah. the noble team to basically help get Cortana over to Master Chief to basically lead to the events of Halo from the Fall of Reach. Yes. Yes. And because of these six Guardians' repeated sacrifice over and over again, not only did the Fallen not enter the city, but they held the, the Fallen off long enough for Saladin to rally all the forces at the heart of the city and push straight for Twilight Gap. And actually end up pushing the the fallen out of the city and actually achieving a very close victory. <laughs> Damn. And yes. Like I need to again, if any one of these like it cut it literally came down to these six people, and if these six people weren't there, well <laughs> the city would have fallen. <laughs> now, you might think, oh wow, Shaq should be rewarded for this. And he was, by everyone except Saladin. Saladin kind of hates him now. Mm. 
Jack's because the best reward ever. All he does is get to stand around all day and just yeah, go guardian, do your. Th- I'm just gonna stand here. Shaq's is fucking cool, but yes, again, it was because of them. I should also mention though is that, um, I believe two out of the four actually suffered their permanent deaths because again of how many times they were killed and revived. Ooh. Yeah. Better but... ratio than noble team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, noble team didn't have instant revives and auto healing and magic. To be and fair, they Noble also team... Noble Team was like what, like one out of six or something chance of living. Yeah, I think it is one. <laughs> and it, I, I'm pretty sure also one of them didn't have to die if you play the mission properly. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, oh. George doesn't have to sacrifice himself at the end if you actually make the Marines to the end. One of the yeah, Marines could have the... detonated that thing because he could jump out the ship too. They can't. Yeah, but, but but George don't think that way. George is a big big man, big heart. He I literally thought that. that one of the first times I completed that mission, I was like, George, some of the Marines are still alive at the end of this mission. Like they can't <laughs> they can't escape the ship, but you can. They did George dirty. Worst case scenario. It's kind of fucked. Well, <laughs> now it's after this whole situation. That Saint Fourteen begins his. Uh, let's just say he makes the Emperor proud with his xenocide. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because Saint Fourteen, Saint Fourteen, the lovely old uncle Saint Fourteen, who everyone loves because he's so fun and so funny, is definitely a war criminal, <laughs> and has um, admitted to killing fallen children. <laughs> It, hey, uh, hey, I got a hey, question. Did he introduce introduce armbands? <laughs> <laughs> no, because when he was done, there was nothing left of the fallen to put armbands on. Hey, they're not from Geneva, so <laughs> Geneva conventions do not apply. <laughs> like he literally connection. began. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say in, in another noble team. Here's Destiny's version of a meal. I see. What <sighs> I get you. I get you. What's really funny though is Saint Fourteen is actually really loving, and he sound he literally sounds like a fun old uncle. But then you remember, oh yeah, my old uncle fought a Nam. <laughs> yeah, my old because... uncle was a tunnel rat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like because, that fun um... old uncle, but then every now and then you just see him staring off into like nothing, <laughs> the middle distance for his minutes. Um. Yeah. Also, Saint Fourteen was also kind of part of a cult. Well, he's technically part of two cults, but <laughs> because um, his name Saint refers to the fact that apparent that he was um, apparently a chosen avatar of the uh, the Traveler. Like he was, like he was basically. I don't want to say he was brought up, but he was definitely like convinced that he was basically an instrument of the Traveler's will. <laughs> So but, he was trying yeah. to change the parking uh, rules so that he wouldn't get a ticket from the darkness? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what, he also... What other, what other uh, sort of fucking permission do you need to kill aliens other than your god's permission? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I should also add that the second cult that he was part of was the cult of was it wasn't called a cult, but they were basically a suicide cult. They were called um, the Firebreaks, and they were basically an order of titans whose single-minded goal was to keep pushing into the heart of enemy lines until you can't push any further until they totally surround you, and then to fight, die, be resurrected, and continue this process on loop until you can no longer be resurrected or all the enemies are dead. So in other words, I have immortality and I'm going to fucking use it. Thank you very much. Yes, literally that. And okay. he it was and this led to what are called the Crusades of Saint 14 where I believe it's I believe it is quoted that it is said that he <laughs> he he I'm going to look for the quote, but to paraphrase, he had a huge effort in reducing the amount of House of Devils fallen on Earth. <laughs> like he he had an impact on their population. <laughs> how many how many fallen did Saint Fourteen kill? <laughs> a lot. Like <laughs> No, hang on. I'll find the picture. I'll find the picture of what the fallen view Saint Fourteen as. I'm. Oh, I, I know what picture you're referring to. I I'm thinking of like. What There's was that? One. I'm thinking of like uh, that that Japanese samurai dude. Who is it? It's like Sonata Masayuki, where he just gets surrounded by Takeda or Tokugawa Iyasu's army, and he just makes a circle with his men. And he says, come at me if you dare. <laughs> That's basically Saint 14. Also, the most recent picture is what the Fallen view Saint 14 as. That is literally how they view him. <laughs> so like how the Covenant viewed Master Chief as demon. Because according to them, every time they kill him and he comes back, he must clearly be a zombie wearing, an arm, wearing a suit of armor. Like he must just be a corpse under there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he also does shit instead of sitting on a chair for 10,000 years. I should hey, also mention to be fair, he's fighting against <laughs> the forces of chaos with his mind. Okay. <laughs> um, when I say scene 14 drastically affected the fallen population, I mean, he killed their Kel and I believe also their Archon prime. <laughs> yeah. That's going to have an effect on the uh, fallen population and the trouts. It's, I believe he kills the Archon. <laughs> I believe he kills the Archon first, and then while he's like exhausted, the Kel comes in and and like takes him, and then he's and the and in the fight he actually loses his shotgun, so he's just fighting bare arms against the fallen Kel, which again are stronger than humans, and this is a Kel, so it's bigger and stronger than you by several degrees, and it tosses him around, and eventually has him like suspended against the wall, choking the life out of him. And Saint Fourteen suspended against the wall has no choice. He puts all of his effectively his magic directly into his fucking forehead and just headbutts the kill to death. So he's like Randy Marsh from that episode of South Park. I didn't hear no bell. Yeah, I'm gonna try and find the gif of Saint Fourteen headbutting things to death because it's fucking hilarious. Hey, bad dad. 
I didn't hear no bell. Well, Rocky, the reason you didn't hear the bell is because you're deaf from all the fucking punches. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky be like, There, I sent a picture of Saint 14 literally headbutting a fucking... Uh, I mean... I should also mention... Uh, you you can actually get Saint 14's helmet in game, and there's actually like several dents on the forehead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have the great. That takes, uh, that takes the phrase "using your head" to a whole new level. Yeah, he literally beat it to death with just his head, and then that was the last people ever saw of Saint 14 <laughs> until he disappeared into the infinite forest, which is a vex place of not okayness. What's of all these famous guardians just up and disappearing like loyalist primarchs? We can't have anyone cooler than the player in the game. All right, (laughs) takes away from the experience. (laughs) But yes, I mean, honestly, Saint Fourteen's the only one who actually did shit to take out the fallen. Like he killed a Kel and an Archon. Like, are you gonna fucking? What did everyone else do? Oh, we sat around. Oh. I went crazy and then my soul got split across reality. Oh, I fucked the space elf. It's like, oh. I wish I was the guardian that got that job. Saint uh, Lord Shax got to do that job. I'm not even lying. Shane Fort. Lord Shax thing to do. Lord Shax has actually canonically had sex with uh, the Awoken Queen. Do you think she has a body pillow of (laughs) (laughs) her? They literally wrote. Like the 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 passage of them flirting, leading up to it, and it's her inviting him over to her palace, and she has a book of uh, like really old Earth poetry, and she and she presents it to Shax, who's holding a coffee mug, and he's because he tele she basically teleports into his palace, and he was in the middle of watching a game, and he's like, "What the hell happened? Why am I here?" And she's like. Read this to me. And she throws this book at him. And she's like, you want me to read from the Tempests or whatever? And he's like, you think I don't have it memorized? And he has electricity power, so he immediately incinerates this ancient book. And then begins reciting the entire book to her while she's sitting on her bed in her, in her like, personal chambers. And then, the, and then the entire page of lore ends with, and the helmet stayed on. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine you can like make it as an art or something. Just he's just standing there in a fucking like bath robe with coffee mug rolled up paper with well, helmet on. <laughs> I was hoping this was gonna end spicily, but it seems that you are so autistic that I don't want to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it fucking hilarious that he just like he just does this and she's just like oh dang okay well I'm into this now so what I'm hearing is Lord Shaq's fucks yes <laughs> hell yeah but he, that's my main man oh 100% Shaq's is the best but uh that's that's kind of the fallen up until the beginning of Destiny 1 there's always some stuff that I could add like, you know, I have Tanix being just an asshole and killing Andalbrask like a bitch. <laughs> but to really, like, if I was going to dissect what happens in Destiny 1, 
and all the brutal, brutal genocide we as the player take part in, well, we'd be here for a lot longer, and it is quite very late right now. <laughs> I was saying, I'm guessing that's what part two is going to be about, because yes, this is going to be a two-parter. Yes, part two, for anyone wondering, will be the events of Destiny 1, um, what happens to all the fallen houses, uh, Destiny 2, uh, where all the houses went, uh, Forsaken, and what happened to all, and oh, that's what happened to all the houses, and everything that happened after, and oh, I see, so all these plot lines died really easily, okay. So expect all that coming in the next episode. <laughs> Yay! You can literally oh, hear my enthusiasm boy. slowly die as they cripple all the plot lines one after another. <laughs> so what you're saying is this is going to be the Lizardmen Part Two, <laughs> <laughs> where somebody just fucks up the storyline, and then we all got to be like, "Oh, great!" Well, it's all right. Here, I'll give you guys a hint. I'll, I'll give you guys a hint. Remember how I went over all these houses and went over like the intricacies and what separates them from one another and all the differences about them all. Yep. Yeah. Well, imagine if I said in Destiny 2, all those houses didn't matter and they disappeared and they were all absorbed into one mega, mega house that has no characters of any kind at the higher up to be appealing or even in any way interesting. That's almost so like they saying these immortal fallen just died of old age. <laughs> <sighs> I love watching all the houses get absorbed into nothingness. And they killed Kane 6. Yeah. I'm See, sad that about was that, gonna, but it's okay. That was going to lead into my next question, was what house killed Kate 6 but then you kind of answered that already, so. Yes, well, it was Tanix, and Tanix has no house. Well, no, Tanix doesn't actually know it wasn't Tanix. Tanix comes back later, though, because he won't stop fucking coming back. It was... Do you want Do you want to know the house? Because it's not actually a house that kills Kate 6 I was going to say, I thought you said they weren't, like, houses anymore by the time of Destiny 2. Well, no, they aren't. There aren't houses. There's one. There's one basically mega house in Destiny Two, but then like that mega house has like a minor house that's like kind of its own faction and its own unique race of aliens, and that's the really Drukari faction because yeah. And they're the ones that kill Cade Six because they're fallen zombies. Okay, then. well, that plot line was really good and really inventive. And then they explained how we got from where we are now to that plot line. And that one middle part was really stupid because as a guy crying about an alien he just met and that alien coming back to life. Because of friendship. Because the real destiny was the friends we made along the way. Fuck my friends, I want the loot. (laughs) Speaking of friends along the way, I think I see a ship with a Chaos Dwarf symbol on it. Oh, that fucking bitch-ass motherfucker. Finally. (laughs) Well, I would prepare for... Can you unlock the doors so we can get out of out of this little jail cell, whatever you have us in? Yeah, I'll just turn the key, but uh, prepare for a boarding action. And unfortunately, I should mention, I don't have boarding torpedoes. So, oh, no. Oh, no. This is going to be fun. Oh, no.
no. Full throttle, boys. No. No. Fuck. Hello, dear listeners. This is your Dwarven host, Gerald. Kind of rounding out the end of this episode with uh, our announcements and obligatory patron shoutouts because there was a little hard to try and naturally fit this in with how we have our episodes going now with more of a uh, with more of a tavern lore role playing storyline aspect of things. But um, we would like your feedback on what you think of that. If you like it, we can definitely keep going with this and uh, create kind of like an evolving storyline with, you know, Ray, myself, our guests, and uh, the situations that we in, uh, put ourselves in. So um, if you like that, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any corrections on anything that we may or may not have missed in any of our previous episodes, please feel free to email us at grimlorepodcast at gmail.com and we will uh, answer those right away and uh, be sure to take like, you know, the first little bit of the next episode to kind of answer those questions. So uh, with that out of the way, we do have our wonderful, wonderful patrons to shout out and they are the Honorable Bretonian Knight, Sir Fleb de Montfort, the Noble Chaos Dwarf Slappy, the Imperial Dwarven Knight, Astronautical, the Trickster Knight of Zinch, Warper. The Powerlifting Knight of Nurgle, Big Joe G. The Noble Island Dwarf, Pirate King, Smoker of the Elven Pipe, Weave Lover in the Night, Crocodile Hunter, Chicken Farmer, Fisherman, Airbnb Host, um, and Secret God Emperor, and Podcast Director of Lorehammer and Lorehammer Listener Lore, Mark. The Noble Scryer Skaven, Exo Flat Claw. The Wizard Noble of Zinch, Magnus the Rad, oh yeah. The Noble Druki Pirate Admiral, Dungledoo Scalecock, and the Noble Priest of Slanesh, Zane Leopard, and our silent supporter, Shamrock. Thank you all, you wonderful patrons, for making this community fun and possible. And um, as far as merchandise stuff, there that's, that's all in the works, so nothing new there. Have a good night, everybody. Enjoy the episode. And if you've stuck around for this long, sincerely, sincerely, thank you. Thank you.